Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of October 6, 2022, including rumor has it that Halo Infinite could be switching the game engine entirely, Google Stadia is officially dead, more sad news about objectively evil entities buying everything you love, and more. October is officially here, and with it, the fall game releases are starting to really ramp up. And on this day in Xbox history in the year 2001, Far Cry 6, 3,500 credits plus 700 bonus download release Xbox One version released in Australia, Japan, and New Zealand. That's right. We always had to celebrate the actual video games themselves. Sometimes we celebrate the launch of microtransactions and game currencies that you could purchase through the Microsoft Store to further your gaming experience in such beloved titles like Far Cry 6, guys. Who could forget the time, you know, where they were, what was going on in their life, you know, the people they were hanging out with, the job they were working, the place they were living in back in the day when the Far Cry 6 3,500 credit plus 700 bonus download release hit the Xbox One. In Japan, Australia, New Zealand, that was. That is, that is. Hey guys, welcome to Xbox On, episode 175. Damn, we're really close to 200. I don't understand how the fuck that's possible. But hey, it's another week, and I think it's a really... I don't know, it's, it's weird, because I feel like a lot of the big stories this week are more of the same old. It's like dreary, dreadful, um, the, the, the earth is catering, or ca- caving in, it's crumbling in on itself... The gates of hell have opened in Tencent and uh, Saudi Arabia are uh, showering or well-endowing the San Francisco-based media outlets with all their good news of of, uh, con- of consolidation, while what we really want to talk about is video games. But thankfully, we do have a lot of that to talk about. i got some really interesting games I've been playing. Overwatch 2 just came out. It's October now, so like we're really hitting that time of the year where things start ramping up. I know we all say, and I've said on the show, it's a slow week. It's a slow year. You know, not many games coming out. I'll tell you what, for me at least, I, I think the, this last quarter of the month feels pretty busy in terms of things coming out. I, at least, you know, for me, and I think if you're on Xbox, really, there are a lot of things, especially Game Pass wise, that are really going to keep you busy, I think, through the rest of the year. Um, also, shout out to Sonic Frontiers coming out next month, baby. All right, guys, let's be serious for a minute, if I may. Let's start out this week's show with the. Stories of mild amusement, the updates, the continuations of things from last week or weeks prior. We have an update on the Activision lawsuit. We haven't seen this story pop up in a while, and it may not be exactly what you you think. It's not like a resolution or something that's going to benefit people uh, who were targets or victims as a result of uh, all the complaints levied that, that made this lawsuit become a thing in the first place. No, what we're talking about is... Chief Compliance Officer Frances Townsend uh, has stepped down from her role at the company this week. An email from Bobby Kotick has revealed. Bloomberg reports that Townsend has decided to step down 
ahead of the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard by Microsoft. And while Townsend is stepping down, she will act as the senior advisor to the company's board of chief executive Bobby Kotick. So she'll still have a fucking... Uh, she'll still be mouthing off, whispering in the ears of the elites, of the, the Bobby Kotick's, the people who are making all the moves, the guys who are like, yeah, I... I yes, I, I personally want... Uh, for there to not be a Zombies Chronicle 2, because I am an evil fucking human being. But no, Townsend, if she may sound familiar, we talked about her just last year when she began at Activision, uh, because she has a track record a little bit, uh, previously served as assistant for Homeland Security uh, and counterterrorism under President George W. Bush, and has been executive vice president of Corporate Affairs and Chief Compliance Officer to Activision Blizzard since last March. In her role, she oversaw Activision Blizzard communications, among other corporate functions. However, she found herself under fire uh, last year due to responses uh, to the DEFH, or maybe it was earlier this year. I think it was late last year, but basically it was during the lawsuit filings. Um, basically, she accused the company of failing to properly address uh, reports of harassment and discrimination. She wrote those like company memos and stuff where she was kind of like, Kind of like berating the the staff themselves for like making the company look bad and exaggerating things that happen. Obviously, not a great look when you're a woman representing a company as large as Activision Blizzard, and you're getting out in front of this lawsuit that really at the center of it is about unfair treatment and and uh, unequal treatment towards women and minority women, and uh, and you're just getting out and being like, hey guys, um. Let's let's think about our brand and our integrity and our image. And it's like, oh yeah, you probably, yeah, I could I could see how you uh, worked in counterterrorism for George W. Bush, the worst fucking president in my lifetime. That's awesome. Gra- gl- glad to hear that this person worked directly with an actual war criminal, and now she is uh, basically working to mitigate or to <laughs> minimize the the <laughs> the uh, wrongdoing on behalf of tons of women who work at this massive corporation. But. uh there's your update. Gee, don't you? Didn't you miss? Didn't you miss when we got to talk about this every week? I'm kind of glad this isn't in the news cycle as much, just for the simple fact that, gee whiz, I sure hoped I'd get to talk about like fun video games during the video game podcast instead of this. But luckily, hey, she's gone. Hopefully, she leaves and exits her influence in the company in a more full, in a fuller capacity in due time. Francis Townsend. Uh, yeah, I don't know you. I don't know too much about your career, but. Honestly, I don't give a shit. Now, next up, guys, let's talk about Overwatch 2. I figured we'll get that thing out of the way because it's not really fun. We don't want to talk about it. Let's talk about something actually fun or fun fun to talk about, not fun to play because you can't play it. Overwatch 2. Guys, you know I'm normally pretty cynical about Overwatch. I like to make the jabs and the, and the funny jokes about, oh, you know, Overwatch and all these little weeby, sick little fucking kids out there want to watch their Overwatch porn and it's a gross, disgusting little game and... Yes, I like to make fun of Overwatch, but at the end of the day, I don't have too much against Overwatch. It's just not my cup of tea necessarily, but it's it's not a bad game that I dislike for whatever reason. But, you know, listen, Overwatch 2, it's kind of a reestablishment of the series. It was initially supposed to be a sequel, and then it became this kind of mismarketed, poorly received, just whole mess of a situation that ended up basically just overriding the first game's existence. And it really what Overwatch 2 is is just Overwatch massive updates like overwatch the taken king if you will it's just uh it, it literally replaces overwatch if you go onto your xbox right now and look up overwatch you can no longer buy and download the first game there's just overwatch 2 so this really is just this free-to-play live service forever future of overwatch but listen i was intrigued i'm like you know what it's free to play now 
Xbox is buying Activision, so you know, as a, as a blind fanboy, I'm going to have to start liking Overwatch anyway. Might as well give this game a go. So last night, I downloaded it, and uh, yeah, the news wasn't lying when they said uh, that the game was basically down and unplayable due to uh, what it had been described as mass distributed di- denial of service, DDoS attack. Uh, on games launch day, so I'm not going to pretend like I know. Enough. I, I I gave up on my IT online class uh, or track way too soon to fully understand what that's all about. But guys, I'm sure many of you are well aware. I'm sure many of you tried to play Overwatch 2 in the past 48 hours. Uh, yeah, Overwatch 2 is unplayable, according to <laughs> Blizzard. And this is from VGC. According to Blizzard President Mikey Barra. Hey, Mikey Barra, why don't you come back to Xbox once Microsoft buys you? And Mikey Barra said on Tuesday, the game's launch date, that the company is doing the best they can to resolve the issues preventing players from accessing the game, saying, quote, teams are working on server issues with Overwatch 2. We are humbled by the excitement of players and will continue to focus on issues and get players into the fun. Thanks for your patience. Unfortunately, we are experiencing a mass DDoS attack to our servers. Teams are working hard to mitigate slash manage and are causing a lot. This is causing lots of dropped slash connection issues. Yeah, the connection issues are so fucking bad that I, I have not seen a single person on any of my social media timelines who has successfully played Overwatch 2. I have just seen, I have just seen shit tons of people showing how they can't get past the fucking press A to start screen. So apparently a DDoS tag, OS attack is basically just um like someone is intentionally like hacking, if you will. I hate that. I hate fucking using that term. I feel like no one knows how to use it properly. Probably not using it properly myself. But basically it's like hacking or, or breaking in and and basically taking down the game or, or, or crashing the game or fucking up the server so people can't play. So what this really sounds like is uh, a bunch of salty little bitch, bitchy boys uh, who have a lot of knowledge, a lot of computer skills, and not a lot of self-confidence and uh, purpose and uh, social relevancy are uh, basically trying to ruin other people's day by taking this game down. So it's a, it's a whole blunder. We know how this goes. In, in due time, everything will be back to normal. At some point, this game will be up and running, and everything will be fine. But it, it's shitty. It definitely really fucks things up for people who are really excited to get in. That's a really shitty thing to do. Like, obviously, people are just looking to enjoy a video game, which is just harmless entertainment. It's just a way to escape and enjoy something you like for a little while before you got to wake up at 5 o'clock and go back to your day job. Like, to take that away from people and try to ruin that fun for other people... Makes you a rapist. That's what it does. Um, Headhunting Halo wrote in and says, Jesse, let's talk about Overwatch 2. Since we have 40 years before Grand Theft Auto 6 comes out, uh, first off, screw Blizzard for the messy-ass launch. What are you going to sit here and make me do 20 things before I can play a game? Server crash? Can't log in? And the best part is you have to pr- you have to have a prepaid phone plan you can't play? Or if you have one, you can't play? What? What the hell is is this thing? I had to use my buddy's phone to let me... To let me in, but after an hour of dealing with it, I try and play, and boom, I can't. You you would think that if you're making a game, you would want sales. It's good. That is a good way you won't. Excited for Halloween. Ends on the 14th. Love you and everyone in the comments. Well, I don't know what that last part's about with love and all that, but, um, man, I mean, yeah, you, you said it best here. You said, you would think that if making a in making a game, you would want sales. This is a good way to not get those sales, basically, is what you said. And to that, I have to say, well, headhunting Halo, that is why they made the tough decision to make Overwatch 2 a free-to-play game. But no, all joking aside, yeah, man, I mean, this 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 fucking sucks. I don't know how, how else to put it from... I got home and immediately started working on the podcast, so I, I don't know how much better it's gotten. 
But I, I assume just today, you know, just in 24 hours alone, this situation has gotten somewhat better. But I'm sure by this weekend, everyone will be enjoying Overwatch 2. No problems. Uh, but yeah, un unfortunately, this is <laughs> quite a shit situation. It sucks for Blizzard because it's, you know, they're already, they already have a shit reputation. They already really fucked up in many, many ways. And this was a potential opportunity for them to maybe get a little bit of fanfare back. What with all their lawsuit bullshit that's going on and the Diablo 4 reaction, which I think is a little unfair, but people seem to be down on. And the Diablo mobile game shit that, you know, deservedly so, it seems. They're getting a lot of shit for. And just in general, people hate them because of the last Warcraft thing they did. People hate them because the initial of reveal and intention of Overwatch 2 and people just hate them for everything. So this this was an opportunity for them to get a little bit of fanfare. Obviously, that was a huge part in making Overwatch 2 a free-to-play game. It was like, hey, let's get back in the good graces of players. Let's have a massive splash and, and, and make ourselves incredibly relevant and consumer-friendly and fun again. And, uh, well, this happened, so <laughs> it really is a huge shit show for Blizzard, um, but I think for gamers, I think you, you get, give it like 72 hours at most. I'm sure you'll be playing your precious monkey slash teenage girl fucking uh, fanfic dating simulator hentai uh, team FPS, whatever the hell this game is. But just know, for as much as I give Overwatch shit, I have every intention of giving this game a go. I have it downloaded on my Xbox. I tried to play it last night. And I will try to play it this weekend. Mark my words. I have every intention of giving Overwatch 2 a try. And considering that I only played the first Overwatch for like maybe 20 minutes at a friend's house one time. This will be my first like legitimate foray into Overwatch. And I think this will be my first opportunity to give the game a truly fair shake rather than just make fun of it all the time, which is what I like to do. But yeah, I, uh, next week, who knows? Maybe I'll maybe I'll come back here next week and I will love Overwatch the way I like Pixar's Cars and Sonic the Hedgehog and fucking all the weird shit I like. So I'll be on this podcast like, guys, fuck Disney Pizza, fuck Chuck E. Cheese's. Have you played Overwatch? I really like the monkey. I kind of want to see what his butthole looks like. Oops, I went to 4chan and now I know what his butthole looks like. So who knows? Might be a whole new Jesse here in a couple of days. But until then, we will... Uh, just continue to wait in line of like, like God, it's, have you seen it? The, the pictures and the videos, it's like people are in queues of like 40,000 people that get in line to play the game. It's it's insane. When I got on, it said there are zero people in front of you. And then after two minutes, it would just time out and say failed to connect. But anyway, let's move on. I'm sure that will all be resolved mostly by the time you're even listening to this podcast. So it doesn't really do us any good to dwell on it too much but it is worth mentioning. Now, next up, guys. This next story is technically really a PlayStation story, um, but I do want to touch on it real quick just because there is just like a, a shit ton of hypocrisy going on here, and I guess technically this half of, this half relates to Xbox anyway, um, but yeah, let, let's just read it. I, I want to I do this because it's fun. Sony's, this is also VGC because everything's VGC, except for the Halo story we're going to talk about this week. Everything's a VGC. I love those guys. They're the best. Mwah. Thank you. All right, Sony's investment in From Software we learned about a few weeks ago could lead to From Software properties being used in PlayStation production projects. And for those who aren't aware, PlayStation Productions is basically PlayStation's movie-slash-TV division of PlayStation that has recently formed because PlayStation is going so hardcore all-in on TV and movies right now. Um, hold this, the sarcastic laugh. We will get to it in just a moment. Now, while discussing the company's purchase of minor, in a more minority stake of Elden Ring developer... Uh, the PlayStation Studio head Herman Holst told uh, Reuters, Routers, Reuters, Reuters. Why do I always say their name wrong? I think it's Reuters. Anyway, quote 
You should think of collaborations on the game development side first and foremost, but it's also not unthinkable with our PlayStation production efforts that we explore opportunities. Qu end quote. PlayStation Productions is one of the latest arms of Sony's empire. Oh, I, I guess I already kind of went into that. Anyway, so basically saying like, hey, we invested in this company. And yes, of course, our main focus with everything is always games, but movie and TV, TV and movies, whatever. Either they're doing this Last of Us TV show. They just did the Uncharted movie. There was that Ratchet and Clank movie a few years ago. We know that they have like 20 TV shows and movies in production right now. Basically, every game they do is getting either an anime, a TV show, or a movie adaptation, including like really obscure games that no one asked for, like that fucking um, PlayStation, that PS Vita game where it's like you're sideways on a building. Gravity Rush. Yeah. They're making everything a fucking movie and it makes no sense. And I just gotta say, well, first of all, yes, this is half related to Xbox because if Sony and PlayStation's uh, entertainment division or, or TV movie division were to make a Elden Ring or, or From Software related TV show or movie, it would kind of be irrelevant to us because Dark Souls and Elden Ring are games that Xbox gamers enjoy as well. So, hey, potential movie TV ideas for that Xbox property or that property that's available on xbox that a lot of people listening to this show probably know and love so there's that aspect of it but there's the other aspect where i just want to laugh about the hypocrisy for a second i know this sounds like such a little fanboy thing to do but you know i have no issue with playstation getting into movie and tvs and it, god i can't speak tv and movies in fact in fact in fact before i finish what i'm about to say i actually wish xbox back in the xbox one era didn't back down as quickly and as cowardly from audience reception um, as they did to the initial Xbox One reveal. I wanted to see more of this always online Xbox TV shit like go into effect. I like that stuff. Wii U did a little bit of that stuff where like you could control your TV and have a TV guide with your Nintendo Wii U remote. It was fucking cool. Like I actually like that shit. I, I like the idea of my entertainment box being a fun piece of tech that can do more than just play games because as someone who really loves consumer tech, who loves phones and smartwatches and computers and laptops and all this crazy gasmos and gadgets, Gidget, gadgets, and, dude, I cannot speak today. Holy fuck. Anyway, as someone who's really into that kind of shit, I always found that really interesting and found it a little sad when Xbox was like, hey, fuck you, Connect, you're dead. Fuck you, Always Online, you're dead. Fuck you, TV movies, you're dead. Fuck you, sports. Eh, I'm okay with fuck you, sports. But they really, like, totally went back on their vision and were just like, Xbox One, it plays games. And then Xbox One did poorly anyway. So I, I always lament that and wish they kind of had stuck out a little bit and did the thing they were going to do and then see if they could, you know, prove audiences wrong. But instead, they bent the knee and and did what they did, which is fine, you know, I, for the better, Xbox One is still a, a generation of gaming I absolutely adore and have so much love for, but remember in those days, it was like a fucking entire console generation, guys, of just like, hi, I bought an Xbox because I love Halo and I think Titanfall looks good, and everyone who's just, ev like, literally anyone, like, old, random old people on the sidewalk would point at you and laugh and be like, oh, you bought an Xbox? Why? Are you fucking stupid? TV, 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 sports, sport. You know that famous YouTube video? Everyone mashes it up and makes fun of it. And yes, it's a very funny video, but like the, the ridicule, the torment. TV, 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 sports, 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 Halo, Gears, Forza, Halo, Gears, Forza. For so long. And now you look at Xbox and of course Xbox is like, Game Pass, fuck you. $15 a month, we'll wash your car for you. Here's all the games in the world. So obviously the tides have changed. The the times have changed. Um, our perception has changed. The, the, the brand image of Xbox has changed. But here we are in the early 2020s, and PlayStation's entire MO the past 12 months or more really has seemed like 
we're just not fucking talking about games. Like, after God of War comes out in this November, PlayStation's, like, not talking about any fucking video games. But it seems like every two seconds in the news, there's a story. It's like, PlayStation's making a TV show based on Twisted Metal. It's like, who the fuck wants that? PlayStation's making a TV show based on Death Jr. PlayStation's making a TV show based on Siphon Filter. PlayStation's making a movie based on Ghost of Tsushima. It's like, guys, come. They're literally making a TV show and or movie right now about Days Gone that zombie motorcycle game they made a few years ago that, like, sold really well, but then Sony refused to let the studio make a sequel to it. So they literally denied the developer a chance to make a sequel to that game that sold really well and reviewed pretty solid, and then they're like, no, fuck that franchise, there's no value in it. And then turn around and are like, we're going to make a movie about it. Like, that is how weirdly obsessed with TV and movies uh, PlayStation is right now. And there's just a stunning lack of, like, no one calling them out or saying anything. We're, we're literally living in an exact polar opposite of last generation in terms of what these companies are actually doing, but not a polar opposite in terms of like the mainstream opinion and, and perception of them, where Xbox is literally all about the fucking games. Dude, I gave Xbox $1 and they gave me like $3,000 worth of video games to play for a fucking month. And all, every time I get Xbox, they're just like, here's a game, here's a game, here's a game. Okay, we can see it's not a game. It's a really cool accessory you're going to want to buy. And here's another game, and here's another game. And PlayStation's over here like, we don't have anything to talk about after November of this year. Zero games in the fucking pipeline. We're apparently making another VR headset that we're not talking enough about. But, um, hey, here's 47 TV shows you didn't ask for. Oh, are you looking for a, uh, an update on Spider-Man 2? Well, here is Tom Holland in the MCU, but he's also Drake from uh, Unfortune, and he's also Drake from Drake and Josh, which would put him in jail for being a pedophile. And that's what we're dealing with on PlayStation. And listen, again, I consider myself a rather agnostic gamer as far as me just loving games in general, and I've played plenty of excellent PlayStation games and plenty of excellent Nintendo games, and, you know, Xbox is just my preferred place to play, but I, I gotta call this hypocrisy, because it, it rubs me the wrong way that I'm just like, yo, we're over here... <laughs> Getting all this shit, TV, TV, TV. Still to this day, Xbox faces a little bit of uh, a little bit of shit for for that for that era, and you know, rightfully so. Like, if people weren't into it, sure, judge them. Have take your take your issue with with the uh, the Xbox of the time. But PlayStation's out here, kind of living a similar story, and everyone's just like, "Gee whiz, I can't wait for the next fucking Last of Us remake." I'm like, "Oh, okay, guys, cool." Just want to point out that irony. Also, if they make an Elden Ring movie, that's probably the closest I'll ever get to understanding Elden Ring. All right, guys, let's let's go back to Activision because we do have a couple of updates regarding um, the Microsoft Activision acquisition. So we're not talking about the lawsuit anymore. We're talking about the Microsoft putting out the money to buy the Activision so they can have the Call of Duty games in their in their Game Pass catalogs. Again, it's all back to Xbox and the games. What are we talking about, guys? Uh, a couple of updates. We'll just kind of blast through them because, honestly, I'm sure everyone's tired of hearing us constantly have to talk about this deal that has not officially gone through yet. But a couple of notable things. First of all, PlayStation boss Jim Ryan reportedly in the past week flew to Brussels, uh, or actually last month, to meet with the European Union regulators currently scrutinizing the proposed acquisition that has been in the news a lot lately. Um, I mean, that European Union scrutinization of the deal. Uh, but, yeah, Jim Ryan is apparently is apparently <laughs> last month went over there uh, around early September to kind of plead his case for why he thinks this is bad for competition. Clearly, Sony is working really, really hard to make sure they can do everything they can possibly do to dissuade uh, regulators and directories from wanting to approve this deal. So that's not new news that 
Sony is against this and trying to work against it. But uh, God, they're they making serious strides. I don't think it's going to work for them in the end, but it is, uh, it's a lot more contentious than I thought it would be. I'll say that. Next up, in regards to the, the story of the acquisition, the UK competition regulator has set a deadline of March 1st, 2023. So next March, what is that, like six months roughly, to publish the findings of their inquiry of Microsoft's proposed Activision buyout. In September, the Competition and Market Authority, CMA, said its inquiry into the $68.7 billion merger had officially been expanded to a second phase due to a number of antitrust concerns. Now, notably, the CMA is worried about the impact the deal could have on PlayStation's ability to compete, which is also why Jim Ryan's over there giving the little speeches and TED Talks about why he thinks it's unfair and inadequate. Uh, given the deal would see Microsoft gain ownership of the Call of Duty series, uh, these, this concern has been given some uh, some thought and uh, credibility. And uh, we got two more quick little updates on the Activision acquisition with Microsoft story because there's just always info coming out. The Brazilian regulatory body has become among the first to fully officially approve the deal. So in Brazil, that large board, remember, and that's that's the filing where we were getting all that leaked information that led to the kind of Sega versus Nintendo back and forth filing fights we were seeing between Microsoft and Sony. But yes, that board has officially approved the deal. So that is one less territory for Microsoft to have to consider and worry about one step closer to the deal being finalized. And then lastly, uh, in regards to this acquisition, VGC reported this week that Microsoft has claimed Sony and Nintendo will still remain the biggest players when it comes to traditional gaming, even after the proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard goes through. The company recently launched a new website, Microsoft that is, designed to voice its perceived benefits of the acquisition. A deal continues to be scrutinized uh, around the world. And among the arguments made uh, the claim that the deal will, quote, benefit the games industry and it would lead to greater competition in traditional gaming where Sony and Nintendo would remain the biggest. It's not even entirely clear uh, what Microsoft even means by the biggest, whether this means it feels like Nintendo and Sony will continue to sell more consoles after the acquisition or if they simply mean that they're considering them to be their biggest competition. The new site is titled Our Vision for Gaming, More Choice, More Games for People Everywhere in our attempts to argue uh, in the story, sorry, and the site attempts to argue the acquisition would actually benefit more than just Xbox owners. Talking about variety, talking about accessibility, lowering barrier to entry, cloud gaming, those kinds of typical things. I skimmed through it a little bit just to give you a little update on what that's all about. Now, here's the thing I want to keep in mind is yes, I think VGC aptly points out what the hell do they mean? Sony and Nintendo would be the biggest still. I, I, obviously, I think they mean in terms of profitability and, reg, and just pure revenue, right? Uh, because, or, or at least profitability, right? Because right now, PlayStation is the biggest player by uh, by revenue by far. Um, Xbox, I think, is fourth place. It's, I think I think the ranking is like in terms of of revenue earned, big game companies. It's like Sony is one, Nintendo is two. I'm pretty sure it's like three is God. What was it? I don't even remember. I don't know if it was like one of the iOS app stores and it counts that. Like if it was like iOS or Android, I think it might have been Google that it counts as number three. I don't know. And then Xbox is four. I know that Xbox doesn't even make the top three, and so I think Xbox is going to play into that a lot as a strength and say, yeah, well, even though Game Pass subscribers are going to go through the roof and we're going to probably easily reach a point where there are more Game Pass subscribers than there are 
um, PS Plus subscribers or Nintendo Online subscribers or any of these kinds of things, it's always going to come down to, well, Xbox isn't profitable, so the other guys make more money. Clearly, they put up a good fight as far as uh, competition goes, and they're, and they're doing great. And I think they're going to use that to their benefit also. Nintendo's platform and Sony's platform way outsell Xbox's hardware, so they can also use that to their advantage. I think it's going to try to be, it's an Xbox thing. It's not Microsoft thing. It's what big companies do anyway. It's, you find ways to perceive the situation to your benefit. You know, one day Xbox is significantly being outsold by PlayStation and it's something they don't want to talk about. So they don't release the sales numbers. And then the next day, Xbox being significantly outsold by PlayStation is exactly the weapon they need to defend themselves against why it's okay for them to gobble up a massive entity like Activision Blizzard. So it's all just a matter of how you want to you know, present your, yourself in the situation. And that's really what this website and this whole story are about. However, it's not entirely wrong. I, I really am of the mindset that a world where, let, let's say it's worst case scenario, and we know Microsoft, Phil Spencer, has been pretty outspoken about like, hey, we're going to continue to support PlayStation. But let's say it is like worst, most greedy case scenario. And Microsoft, as soon as they're able to, are like, Call of Duty only on Xbox and PC. Um, Crash Bandicoot Spiral only on Xbox and PC. We're reviving games like Skylanders and Guitar Hero and Tony Hawk, and they're only on Xbox and PC. Let's just say, for some fucking reason, that that's, that's an actual thing that happens. I, I still think PlayStation's going to be a bigger brand, or at least for a good while. It would take quite a while, even with that kind of get, for Xbox to um, supersede PlayStation in that way. So... Even though I am dubious of this vague claim, oh yeah, they're still going to be bigger than us. Uh, I do think it is, in a lot of ways, still accurate and correct. All right, there's our update on all the latest with the acquisition. Guys, that's it for our... Actually, nope. You, I want to talk about one small story of mild amusement that's unrelated to Activision altogether, guys. And it's about a video game uh, before we get into the proper news. And it's about... Obsidian's The Outer Worlds. So VGC re relays that Outer Worlds looks like it is set to be released again for Xbox Series S, X, and PlayStation 5 as well. As spotted by VGC, the Taiwanese ratings board has classified a new edition of the game called Outer Worlds Space Choice Edition. Spa Spacer's Choice Edition. The game was released on Xbox and PC back in October 2019 before making its way to Nintendo Switch in June of the next year. Now, this is a weird one because... I feel like this is one of those things where it was just an Xbox and PC game. You wouldn't get a remake of it or or a current-gen port like a Grand Theft Auto V going from Xbox 360 to Xbox One style just upgrade. I feel like you would get more of that Xbox style upgrade where it's like, hey, we frame rate boosted and just had a big patch that really updates the game a whole lot for free and fuck you, it's now Series S and X compatible. I feel like that's what we would get. But because this game's publishing rights are with Private Division, because it's also on Switch and PlayStation, because of all the generic, more third-party game treatment that this game gets, they kind of get to do that double dip of like, sure, let's let's up it a little bit, let's refine it a little bit, and add in all the DLC, the, what is it, the War on Gorgon or whatever that, that DLC is called, throw it all in one package and put a Game of the Year edition out there. And that's essentially what they're doing here. And yeah, I think this is probably likely. Things leak all the time from rating boards in Brazil and in South Korea and Taiwan and shit all the time. And it's almost always pretty accurate. Um, either that or like some Canadian Amazon outlet will will leak it and we get it that way. And and so is it likely to be real? Yes. Is it something to be excited for? I, I don't see why. You could just play this game on Game Pass and be done with it all. But 
if you are looking for a game that already looks and runs pretty great on the Xbox One to look and play a little bit better on your Xbox Series X, I guess you have this to look forward to. I assume we will probably see an announcement. Maybe at the Game Awards. I feel like that would be a decent time to maybe say something about it. You could pair it with, um, I don't know, what else would you pair it with? final fucking gameplay reveal for um hellblade 2 that'd be nice i don't know all right guys that's it for all the stories of mild amusement guys let's jump into the actual news but you know how it works on the podcast we don't really just hard shift from one thing to another we have to slowly meander about and get over to where we want to be guys last week i had to to cut the podcast a little short i had to try and stay brief and, and succinct in order to try and get the show out before the hurricane hit but guys there are no hurricanes out there today I'm not on vacation. This is no interstitial episode. This is the first time in a couple of weeks we've just been back on the Xbox One podcast and been able to just, you know, stretch our arms out, breathe a little bit, take our time. So what if it's an Xbox podcast? I'll still tell you about the Happy Meal I ate at McDonald's last week. Why not? All right, guys. That's a little bit of a foreshadow. Guys, let's talk about the games I've been playing this past week. But before I can tell you an interesting one, I'm not just going to say Call of Duty and Halo. I've got some interesting shit to talk about. But before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I gotta tell you about what I've been eating. Guys, I'm at a real loss for words. This happens every now and then where I'm writing the notes for the podcast. And I'm like, what am I gonna mention for what I've been eating? And I just kind of come to a blank. I don't really know. Don't really have anything in particular to add to it. And so I thought, well, it is the first podcast of October. And October is the greatest month of the year. It is where we celebrate the greatest holiday of the year, Halloween. Okay? So let's uh, let's get into the festive Halloween season spirit a little bit. By uh, talking something food and Halloween related, you see, obviously, Halloween is heavily associated with candy. Also, you know, like, if you're an adult, not trick-or-treating, maybe it's more associated with, like, Halloween parties where maybe you have, like, fun snacks and Halloween-themed drinks and foods. And that's all well and good. Don't get me wrong. I love candy. I love chocolate. I love Halloween treats. I love all the fun festivities. But I was wondering, if you're someone who likes real food um, and sometimes wants to think about actual food, what are some like, what are some just like objectively Halloween dishes, like like food, like actual sustenance, like a true food that you would eat and be like, wow, that was sufficient nourishment for a day. You know, like what is an actual meal or a treat or some kind of, uh, not treat, like snack, or some kind of food related item, not candy, not sweets, like food that is like just so, so like um, heavily associated and just so perfectly uh, paired with the Halloween holiday season month of October. And uh, this really stumped me because obviously, you know, there's always fun little Halloween recipes like like food blogs and shit will be like, look, it's um, it's a little Rice Krispie treats, but it looks like spider webs and I'll oh, just add food coloring to this pudding and now all of a sudden it's blood and there's things like that. But like I'm talking about food, man, like fucking how, what what is what is an example of this? And I just couldn't think of it. Because, like, you think about Thanksgiving. Obviously, Thanksgiving's a fucking easy one. Thanksgiving is turkey. Thanksgiving is stuffing and mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce. You think about Christmas. Christmas is, you know, depending on the culture. Maybe it's an Italian assortment of fish. Maybe it's a a, 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 a nice ham. Maybe it's a maybe it's a, a, a rib roast. I don't know. There are plenty, you know, nice, warm, hearty family meal. Something like that. Something banquet style. Um, you think about Fourth of July. Ah, you know, you slap, you pull the grill out. It's hamburgers and hot dogs and shit on the grill. Same thing with like Labor Day or Memorial Day or like one of those summer holidays. Valentine's Day, you know. Oh yeah, chocolates for your loved one. But then maybe you go out to a nice restaurant. You go nice steakhouse, nice Italian place, something like that. It's a nice restaurant. 
there are all these actual food associated associations with various holidays. But when it comes to Halloween, the only association is just candy. It's chocolate, it's gummies, it's fruity flavored goodness. But it's uh, what about the food? The closest thing I could come to is, and this is something I kind of became a tradition for me once I started getting to the too old to trick or treat age, where it was like, well, what do you do on Halloween when you can't trick or treat? Well, you, you get with your buddies. You play some Call of Duty Zombies, or you watch a couple scary movies, or you watch something better than a scary movie, like the 1990s television show Goosebumps, and you order pizza. And so to me, it's like it's kind of a cop out because like pizza is good anytime food. I probably on average eat pizza minimum of twice a week. It's it is just a you know pizza is like oxygen. It's like you don't just breathe air during Halloween. Pizza is an always food, but at the same time, pizza is also a Halloween food because I definitely associate pizza on Halloween night as a thing. And I know for a fact, pizza restaurants are always fucking swamped on Halloween night. Everyone's ordering pizza on Halloween night. So that's the best I could come up with. I feel like Chinese takeout would be a good one as well, but I just don't have a really solid answer. So I want to throw it to you guys. Be a little lazy this week. I'm not telling you about something I've been eating, but I want to pose a question to you. What is a food that you think, not candy, not sweets related, but a food, like an actual food item that you think is just inextricably tied to, associated with the Halloween season. I await your response. And if you don't respond, remember, all the way back to the early episodes of Xbox On, I do have your social security number. I will find you, and I will haunt you if you don't give me an answer. So, fuck you. How do you like that? Let's move on to what I've been playing. Guys, interesting week for me. I got in one of those moods where it's like, I've been, I've been dilly-dallying a lot lately. Like, the other week, that Modern Warfare 2 beta was happening, and I played a shit ton of that, and that was really fun. I was really salty when it ended because I kind of want to keep playing it. But trying to figure out where to go next with gaming this past week, I realized I've really shot myself in the foot. I'm trying to get a certain assortment of games under my belt before the holiday rush begins. I really wanted to beat A Plague Tale Innocence before A Plague Tale Requiem comes out. Well, I waited too long, and now A Plague Tale Innocence is not on Game Pass, and it's $40 on the Xbox Store, and the sequel comes out in a few weeks. It's not going to happen. I'm going to wait. I'll play both games later down the road. I fucked up. That one's over. So I just I realized we're going to shelve both of those games for a different date. But I also, I've been trying to like get on top of the Yakuza backlog because new Yakuza games keep getting announced and my backlog of just Yakuza games I haven't finished keeps piling up and then all this shit is happening on Game Pass. Deathloop is out. Grounded is in full release now. Overwatch 2 just came out. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I know it's supposed to be a slow year for gaming, but I'm, I'm kind of getting buried a little bit right now. So I tried to be a, a mature adult and try to just you know take things one thing at a time because it's all you can do. And uh, I'm trying to get on top of things now when I, I didn't before. You know, we, we got to be on top of this by the time Sonic Frontiers is out in November because ain't nothing getting played outside of Sonic come November 8th. But so I started Yakuza 3 a couple weeks back and dropped it a little bit. And then this week I was like, no, fuck it. I'm coming back to it. How long to beat.com, one of my favorite websites I used all the goddamn time, says that Yakuza 3 is actually the shortest Yakuza game. It can be completed in like 15 hours or less. So. I'm like, you know what? This weekend, we are finishing Yakuza 3. And I did it, and I'm proud of myself. Yakuza 3, check, done. So now I've played Yakuza 0, 1, 2, the Kiwami editions, and Yakuza 3. So that's four Yakuza games i played in the past two years or so. 
And, you know, they're, depending on which one you play, they're 15 to 30-hour games, so it's not nothing. You know, I could be doing better, but I'm not doing terrible. But I still got to play Yakuza 4, 5, 6, Like a Dragon. Um, uh, what are the two? God, their names escape me now. Those other two spinoff games that it's killing me. I can't think of the name right now. And then we got, like, two more on the way that have been announced. So there's a lot of Yakuza on the way, and I, I feel like I'm making some progress, but at the same time, I'm not even halfway there, and it's just, it's daunting. And here's the thing, is like, I love Yakuza. You guys know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, when I first discovered Yakuza for myself a few years back, when I played Yakuza 0 for the first time, that game is legitimately one of my all-time favorite games now. Like, I adore Yakuza 0. It's such a special game to me. And I thought, going back and playing Yakuza 1 and 2, those games are really solid. They're not as good as Yakuza 0, but they're really damn good. And I am, I am a, I'm hooked. I'm a fan of the series. I love Yakuza. If I'm being really honest with you guys, Yakuza 3 definitely has some high moments. There are moments in this game where it feels like the best parts of those other Yakuza games I played. But it is definitely by far, of the four titles I played in this series, Yakuza 3 is by far the weakest. And it's a little bit unfair because Yakuza 0 is a newish game. It's a relatively new game. Kiwami 1 and 2 are modern remakes of the original first two games, which were PlayStation 2 games. Yakuza 3 is just a slightly remastered version of a PlayStation 3 game from 2009. So it is the least refreshed and modernized version of these Yakuza games I've played. But I don't think that's what did it for me. The game just feels... The stakes feel lower. The story feels less consequential. The characters I was less invested in. And don't get me wrong, it's cute as hell. Kiru, Kazuma Kiru, Kiru is this freaking father figure to these orphan children and so cute and half the game is just monotonous bullshit it's just like this kid has a crush on this girl help him help him talk up the you know get the courage to talk to this girl and oh this 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 kid in your orphanage wants to get a puppy so she finds a puppy and you have to help her chase it down and give it uh, give it a toy and some dog food and you know this kid uh stole this kid's allowance and now you have to teach the kids a lesson and, and it's basically like uh, being a member of a, a fierce member of the Japanese Yakuza and then parenting Sim paired with that. And it's so cute. It's so heartwarming. It's so fun. I'm glad I played it. I continue to look forward to con- to playing future Yakuza titles, but Yakuza 3 by far, in my opinion, was the most underwhelming. The combat system, not as good as Yakuza 0 for sure. The story, not as invested in it. It also feels like it, it, it reaches its peak and then just kind of reaches its like climax and resolution real fast. It's just it's it's a real quick one when you think about it. And for a game that's only like 15-ish hours, I feel like you spend about 30% of that game just helping little orphan kids work through their feelings and uh, aspire to achieve their dreams one day and uh, not a whole lot of time doing the Yakuza thing, going to Tokyo and fighting bad guys. And so it's a, it's a weird one, but I, I, I love the game nonetheless. Uh, obviously, th- these are games that should be played in order, but it, it, just in case it has to be said, I would never recommend Yakuza 3 as someone's first ent- uh, foray into the series. But um, as someone who has a foundation for this series, I did enjoy it. It's just not my favorite so far, but that's Yakuza 3, so I beat that. Um, guys, I dabbled in Deathloop. I wanted to finish Yakuza before I started it, but I've actually been pretty keen to try Deathloop. Um, I don't have a great history with Arcane. I, I couldn't get into Dishonor the time I played it. I wanted to, I just couldn't. Um, I really wanted to love Prey when that game came out. Um, I never got into it. 
I still want to go back and give that game another try because I don't think I gave it a proper try. I really do think I will like that game if I just force myself to play it long enough. I really want to love that game, but I, I didn't love Prey the first time I played it. Um, I hate, hate, hate that one Wolfenstein game they made in collaboration with Machine Games, the one where you play as B.J. Blazkowicz two daughters and it's just a fucking terrible game the one that came out like two summers ago the download only spin-off title that game fucking sucks and um arcane is heavily credited with having worked on that with machine games um so it, needless to say my my relationship with arcane has just not been great I, I i want to like their games i always give their games a try it just never works out for me and so you can imagine I didn't have the highest expectations for how I would resonate and click with Deathloop. But thankfully, against the odds, finally I have found a game from this developer that has resonated with me. Now, I'm not here to say, guys, I'm head over heels in love with Deathloop. I think this game is phenomenal. I, I don't know that I like it that much. And I'm really only like two hours into it, so I can't say too, too much. But I do like Deathloop. And I will say... There are a lot of really unique ideas here. This is an incredibly unique uh, game. It's an incredibly visually interesting game, really pretty looking game, and um, huge, huge props to Arcane because what they've done here is they've taken massive liberties with, a, with, with I would say, a formula that feels very wholly unique to them alone and uh, made something that is unlike anything else on the market. So I want to give them a lot of credit where credit is due. But the thing that makes Deathloop so awesome isn't the gameplay, isn't the setting, isn't any of that. It's the characters. The writing and the voice acting in this game is phenomenal. The The main character, Colt, he is fucking cool. I love him. I, I'm super invested in him. Like, right off the bat, I like this game because I just... I just want to learn about this character and see their story and what's going on with them. And Colt's awesome. Like, it's, it's one of those games where... Right off the bat, it just it throws you in a scenario where you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, you just basically wake up, and you're dying, and you're looping back into the same event over and over again, and you're trying to figure out where you are, who these people are, why they're manipulating you, what they know, how you're in any way associated with them. And it's fun. It's a really cool game. It's way more linear than I thought it would be, which is, thank like, thank God. I didn't want it to be a massive, like... Ooh, here's a cool sandbox. Go find tools and do what you will to get around these obstacles. It is like that, but it isn't. It's pretty linear levels, and you kind of decide your play style pretty early on, and you kind of stick with it. You can play it really stealthy, which is probably the way you should play it, um, but you could be like me and just be like, everything is Call of Duty and just shoot everything with a fucking beating heart in front of you and just try to plow your way through the game. Um, but it's really cool. You use clues, uh, but it doesn't feel too puzzle solvy to figure out what to do next or where you should go. Um, the, the narrative is really the, the, the through line that pulls you through, but yeah, the moment to moment gameplay and, and fighting and everything in mechanics and traversal feels so much like arcane, like it's unapologetically a dishonored type game. And, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm just so pleased to say, guys, I finally found a game from developer arcane that is clicking with me and it's Deathloop. I'm really excited to play it more. Um, I don't really want to go into it too much more because I just feel like I haven't spent enough time with it to really give fleshed out developed thoughts. But so far, I, I like this game. I like this game a lot. And I'm sad because it came out at a time and I, I get exactly why it came out when it came out. They waited until the game was exactly one year old on PlayStation and then released it the next fucking day because they weren't going to waste any time with that timed exclusivity deal they had with PlayStation because now that Xbox owns Bethesda and by way of that owns Arcane, they're not going to let their own fucking game be console exclusive on PlayStation. So I get the idea was to get this game onto Xbox as soon as humanly possible. And we will see the same exact thing happen next spring with um, uh, Ghostwire Tokyo, which was another 
another Bethesda game that had the exact same set up with PlayStation where it's a one-year timed exclusive. So I'm sure we will see that game come out after it is exactly one year old on PlayStation. But man, the timing is just bad because Grounded just came out in full release. Grounded's been in Game Pass for a while. It's been out in early access beta for a while. But the proper game is out with its story and content and everything included. It's ready to play fully for people like me who don't want to play a beta, who want to play the actual real deal. And so that's bad timing. And then Overwatch 2 just came out this week. So that's bad timing. And then backlogs are growing. And that's bad timing. It's always a bad time. But this is especially a bad time for Deathloop. And so as much as I like the game, I don't know that I'm going to finish it. I don't know if I'll have to come back to it later. I definitely plan on playing it more this week. But after this week, I really don't know if I'll ever get back to it again. So it's a little bit of like a, a bittersweet thing where I think the game's good. I just don't know how it fits into my gaming schedule because another game I've been playing this week is Grounded, <laughs> which is officially out. Obsidian's little little uh, side project that could. This little uh, kids in the backyard, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids survival crafting game that everyone was like, eh, this isn't what we want. Show us avowed. You know, I was part of that, that group of people as well for a long time. And I, while I think it's awesome that they took a small sliver of the staff and said, guys, go off and do something fun. You know, let's have a little, a little B tier project, B team project. Uh, what, what they been able to do with grounded over these past few years is actually quite astonishing. I think the game looks incredible. It's incredibly well-developed and well-designed and really fleshed out and looks very AAA for a game that was basically made by a small B team within a larger studio. And I just got to say, Grounded, I tried it when it first came out in Early Access, what was it, two years ago, two summers ago? Grounded did not get my attention at all. I played it for all of seven minutes and I was like, I love this Honey, I Shrunk the Kids aesthetic, but no, I, I, I like Minecraft too and I can't even get into Minecraft. What makes you think I'm going to get into Grounded? But when the game came out in its full 1.0 proper street date release this past week, I saw a lot about how they're like, well, yeah, the story content's in the game. Oh, story content, story content, story content. I'm like, you know what? I, let me give it a try. If it's got story content, I might as well just give it a go. What's the harm? It's 12 gigabytes and we find out. And um, guys, the, <laughs> the story content is the thing that makes Grounded go from just some random-ass survival crafting game to a game I actually want to play because I was already sold on the aesthetic and the setting and all that and the synopsis. But now I'm sold on the fact that there are quests and story and dialogue and characters. And I'm like, ah, now I like the game. Now I actually, fuck. Now it's a game I actually want to play and it makes my backlog grow even bigger. And so it's stressful because it's good. <laughs> and so, yeah, I played this game also for about two hours this weekend. Most of my weekend was spent with Yakuza 3. So Deathloop and Grounded only got about two hours each. And again, I will say Grounded it's really fucking cool. I have to say this because generally I, I get turned off by crafting and survival and open world shit because when a game says the world is your oyster, go make your own fun, I go, I'm overwhelmed with choice and I'm bored. I'm going to go play something linear that tells me what to do with my life. And then I go back and I play Halo or something like that. But Grounded, when you when you strictly stick to the story content, yes, of course, there's crafting involved. Yes, of course, the game is trying to teach you how to build and fend for yourself and can invest in yourself and all that shit within the game but it's rpg mechanics start to shine a lot more through and as you get through the story content you're like wait a minute this feels kind of like the outer worlds wait a minute this feels kind of like fallout wait a minute this kind of feels like elder scrolls so that part of obsidian that makes the third person i know they don't make elder scrolls but they make you know the the the, the third person open world RPG, Western RPG style game starts to really shine through when you get into this game story content. When you start 
just you know it's not all about just crafting and running around and being stupid and trying to build a Fortnite fort. When you start really getting into the story of the game, it's like shit. This game kind of feels like Honey I Shrunk the Kids meets The Outer Worlds with crafting. And now I don't love the game. I'm not like head over heels in love with it. But, you know, for a little game I had no expectation for that's just in Game Pass and I happen to like the aesthetic of, Grounded is pleasantly surprising. I'm really I'm really quite taken aback by how much I like it and how much of a desire I have to continue to spend time with the game. And so another bittersweet thing, I don't know how much more time I'll put into this game outside of maybe another weekend here or a weekend there. But, man, if my backlog wasn't fucking taller than the Eiffel Tower... Uh, you know, st- when you stack all the games together, even though it's in a digital library, so this makes no fucking sense, then, uh, man, maybe I'd be able to give this more time, but I'm just overwhelmed. And so, you know, what I do when I'm overwhelmed is I go back to Old Reliable and I play Halo and Call of Duty Zombies or Sonic. Speaking of Halo, Call of Duty Zombies and Sonic, the last game I've been playing this week is Halo Infinite. Nothing to say here. I, I, I've just been playing a lot of Halo Infinite because I, I, I took a huge break when Season 2 came out. Just out of disappointment and frustration. But honestly, they've added so many modes in these. And, and don't get me wrong. The playlists are totally fucked in Halo Infinite. It is so annoying that I hit Rumble Pit. And instead of just getting free-for-all Slayer, 9 times out of 10, I get some bullshit mode like Swords and Grappling Hooks. But at the same time, these modes like Swords and Grappling Hooks or like Big Team Battle Fiesta are just so zany and wacky and fun that it's actually kind of re, uh, reignited my appreciation of Halo Infinite. So I'm kind of getting back to that Season 2 Battle Pass I abandoned at the start, working my way through it. I'm at about level 70, and I'm just uh, I'm just enjoying some Halo Infinite in my, in my own time. I notice when I don't play on stream, when I don't play with other people, when I just play Halo the way I'm used to playing Halo, which is like zombied out on my couch with podcasts playing on my phone and just kind of half playing on the screen. I play a lot better. I enjoy the game a lot better and I just have a better time overall. And uh, Halo Infinite is just such a great unproductive playing a game just to pass the time kind of game for me right now. And it's just, uh, it's been a good time. Halo Infinite, you're getting a lot of shit. Most of it's deserved. Some of it's not. Um, Thank you for still being a good game that I like to play. So look at that, guys. All Game Pass, Yakuza 3, Deathloop, Grounded, Overwatch 2, which I would be playing if uh, it weren't completely broken. That's not that's not Game Pass. That's free-to-play. And then Halo Infinite. So all Game Pass titles slash free-to-play titles available on Xbox. Having a great time with all of them except Overwatch 2 because I haven't gotten to play it yet. Damn, dude. I mean, it's early October and we're already inundated with so much shit. So there's that. Guys, with all of this out of the way, I think it's time we finally jump into the news. What say you? Let's do it. Hold my hand. Let's stare off the cliff. I know the water looks shallow, but I'm pretty sure we can make it. God damn it. Hold your breath. Let's go. Three, two, one. All right. Let's get into the proper news. Guys, we have a couple. Let's see how many stories we got. We've got about eight stories this week, although the last two are basically wrap up. So I say let's just get right into it. Let's talk the big one, the one, at least in my opinion, that it is most interesting and uh, not as depressing as some of the other ones we got to get to. Let's talk Halo. Guys, is Halo switching to Unreal Engine? Uh, this is... I can't believe we're actually talking about this. Okay. Windows Central's report. <sighs> Written out by none other than the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Jez Corden. Last week... YouTuber Sean W. This is from the article written by Jez Corden. Last week, YouTuber Sean W. shared a video detailing some rumors he's heard about Halo Infinite, alongside some speculation about what may be going on moving forward. At its core, Sean reported that Halo's Tatanka Battle Royale-like mode may be uh, moving from uh, over to Unreal Engine 5 from 
343's slip space engine. If it wasn't there already, this would potentially mean dropping much of the work that has already been done on said slip space engine. Initially, Windows Central reported that they didn't... It, didn't make a whole lot of sense to drop a two-plus-year project or amount of work that had been done on Tatanka to move across to a new engine. But after speaking with Sean, Jez Corey, that is, and doing some digging, uh, it's certainly looking increasingly as though Tatanka is either ditching Slipspace or is never using Slipspace from the onset. Information received during the original leak earlier in the year for Tatanka suggested that the game was supposed to incorporate Halo Infinite's Forge user-generated content system alongside progression from Halo Infinite itself. On the face of it, switching out to a new engine would potentially be incongruent uh, with the design goals of incorporating Halo Infinite content, which could continue to exist in the separate engine entirely, but information we've received, or Windows Central has received, could suggest a wider change in the direction of Halo Infinite franchise. Here's where it starts to get really crazy. Increasingly, Jez writes, there are reports that Halo may be gearing up for a wider switch to Unreal Engine, known for gamers like Gears of War, Fortnite, many other games. Sean's report was also corroborated with AG's, ACG's Jeremy Penter, as well as some sources of Windows Central's own. Uh, Jez says, I wanted to gather more details in an attempt to paint a more complete picture of what's going on with Halo right now before creating a report, given that some information uh, that he's received is conflicting until here's what we know so far. So here's what Jez writes, just going to read verbatim. Some details on the concrete plan remain vague. We have some tentative uh, indication that Microsoft may be looking to move to Unreal Engine across the whole franchise too, not just Tatanka, uh, with 343 getting ready to explore a future of the franchise, with 343 founder Bonnie Ross and Slipspace architect David Berger no longer at the company. It seems that the studio is eager to explore new ways to adapt to the fast pace of development in the shooter service gaming world. Moving to a more popular game engine with mature tools, or perhaps more uh, crucially, high levels of experience from a game developer workforce may be key to figuring out Halo's future, but right now, it doesn't seem like there is any real indication that Halo Infinite itself is winding down, though. Development on Forge isn't stopping, and neither is development of Seasons 3 and 4 of the multiplayer content. So, guys, I don't know where to begin. Part of me thinks I don't have enough to even say on this story, and part of me thinks I don't know where to begin. I have so much to say. So let's just pick a random avenue and rant as we do best on the show. I must say, and you know if you've ever listened to this podcast, I am an entire layman when it comes to the technical aspect of gaming. I can guess and talk about and use the knowledge I do possess, which admittedly is not much, to try and think about what companies are thinking about marketing and investments and business stuff. I'm really interested in games in that regard. I love to think about what developers are working on next, what moves publishers are making, the kind of more businessy aspects. That's my favorite part about following the games industry. It's kind of my specialty, although I'm far from really good at it. It's just the part where I feel more comfortable operating. When it comes to these stories where we start to talk about these things of, oh, well, the technologies, bro, the game engine is what's really fucking up Halo Infinite. My brain melts. It turns to just absolute goo immediately because I don't fucking know what to make of this information. I went to school for literature. All I know how to do are read stories written by underpaid dead people about sad shit. I don't have any bearing on technical aspects of gaming. Nonetheless, here we go. Am I not mistaken in saying that Call of Duty has three engines? 
two engines, 2.5 engines. Infinity Ward has an engine called the Infinity, literally the IW engine. And it is the engine used for Modern Warfare games. And they obviously have updated it and worked on it over the years. Treyarch, who make the Black Ops games, have a engine called the Black Ops engine, which, to my knowledge, is a heavily, heavily modified version of, and I'm going to forget which game it is. It's a heavily modified version of, like, the Modern Warfare 2 engine, which is so modified that it's basically the Black Ops engine, and then has since been modified time and time again. And then I believe Sledgehammer uses a modified version of the Infinity War engine, but it's more conventional or it's more in line with the engine Infinity Ward uses. Nonetheless, there's a reason why, for many reasons, and I know, Cronky, if you're listening, you're going to argue with me on this. Engine doesn't matter. The game would feel the same either way. There are many reasons why the various Halo develop or Call of Duty developers make very different feeling Call of Duty games. Among them, one of the reasons, one of, not the only reason, one of the reasons is they use entirely different engines. Okay, that is my baby brain understanding to begin with, but... In 2019, I know we're talking about Halo. I promise you this is getting to Halo. In 2019, when Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2019 came out, Infinity Ward basically built a new revamped, we hired a bunch of people from DICE Hughes to work on Battlefield engine that basically just makes Call of Duty look and feel a little bit more like Battlefield. And they're like, boom, this is the new Call of Duty engine. Now it's even better for campers. And then Black Ops Cold War, although it looks kind of like that, was still built on the old school Black Ops engine, which is why Black Ops Cold War feels so much like a fun, arcadey, old school Call of Duty, despite the fact that Modern Warfare 2019 feels so much like a slow, tactical, methodical, uh, hide behind cover and camp for your life kind of game. That is my understanding. But you take Call of Duty Warzone, which is Call of Duty's Battle Royale component, my understanding is that is developed by Raven and is built on the Infinity War engine, but when they took the game from Modern Warfare 2019 to Black Ops Cold War, and they began the Black Ops Cold War year of, of, of content support for Warzone, they started adding assets and maps and content from the Black Ops universe into Warzone from the Black Ops engine, and somehow were meshing together and crossing paths between aspects of things Infinity Ward has done on their engine with their games, and then content in, uh, Treyarch has done with Black Ops games and, and their content into Warzone, and then when Vanguard came out, Sledgehammer started adding to the mix with shit from their crappy games, and the whole situation with, uh, with Warzone is that it has just been this blobby mess of like every company's throwing content in from their various games, from their various universes, with their various engines, and they all kind of operate and tweak and do things a little differently and it's kind of been a hot mess which is why as of this year or maybe it was last year I think it was this year basically as the reporting goes going forward every Call of Duty is to be made on the same fucking engine so that they can avoid this from happening the next Black Ops game the next whatever doesn't matter you have to make it on the same Infinity Ward engine even though the Black Ops engine is superior because Black Ops games are superior and that is my arbitrary line in the sand so that is a really long tangent a really tired way of trying to say I think this is I think this can be done and I think it's what Activision's been doing with its Call of Duty developers for years clearly it's not a great solution because so much of the reason for doing Warzone 2 which comes out this November is because it sounds like I'm advertising coming out in November guys don't forget to download uh, but so much of the reason for Warzone 2 to my understanding is because 
Warzone has become such an overly bloated, hard to develop for, easy to fuck up when developing content for, slash, uh, like, way too, too many assets, way too high of a download file size, just mess of a game. And by switching everything to the Infinity Ward engine that Infinity Ward creates and used for the Modern Warfare games, now that every developer is on the same page, um, Warzone is going to be a much cleaner, neater, easier to develop for, smaller download file size, little tight package of a Battle Royale game. It's going to be easier for players and developers to work with. This is my understanding, and obviously it sounds like there's a definitive outcome that having everything all together on one engine is a superior outcome. However... The whole reason I went through all these nitty-gritty details is to make the point that if Call of Duty could do it, can't Halo do it? Can't 343 do it? Remember, Tatanka, the Battle Royale, the rumored Battle Royale mode is being made by Certain Affinity, not by 343. So if Certain Affinity wants to make a Battle Royale game on Unreal Engine and then uh, 343 makes the core Halo Infinite game on Slipspace, does that mean you can't have... um, does that mean you can't have uh, on the main menu of Halo Infinite select the game mode, um, select the game mode for uh, Battle Royale, and then it launches you into the Battle Royale? But now you're playing an Unreal Engine Five, and it's pulling assets from the game and the multiplayer and shit that are built in Slip Space or in, put into Slip Space. But now, and I understand this is a lot of like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You can't just be importing assets and logic from one. From uh, from one proprietary engine into a mainstream consumer engine like Unreal and just expect it to just easily translate. It's not just, you know, you take one thing here and put it there. You can't just take fucking BMW parts, shove them into your Honda Civic and be like, why don't you work car? So my understanding is it's just not that simple, but can't tools and systems be created to make that so? If that's what they got to do, the thing I don't understand is maybe maybe this should have been point two I made in anal- analyzing the story because at the very heart of it, I fail to see as just a blind, stupid fucking consumer who just sees the the internet fire going on all the time. How the hell is it slip space that's the engine or that's the issue? The slip space engine. How is that the issue at three four three? I thought the issue was. They don't have a permanent staff, it's too much contract work, it's poor management at the studio. But now the reporting is apparently that, well, the slip space engine is super hard to work on and they don't have enough developer tools to make it good. What was the point of making the slip space engine in the first place? Why didn't they just work in Unreal to begin with? And so now I have so many questions. Like, would Microsoft really be willing to take the two plus years they spent working on the slip space engine and just throw the millions and millions of dollars spent on that project, just throw it in the trash. Now we're playing, we're on unreal. Plus when you use unreal, you have to pay licensing fees to Epic. So you also make less money on your game now because you owe licensing fees. Would they really be willing to just throw all that money away? And yes, I know the irony of the situation. I'm saying this about the company that is about to pay $68.7 billion for Activision. I get, I get the irony of my own comments. But does it make sense that they would do this? Like, I just don't get that. And if slip space is the true problem, why hasn't that been the story constantly leaking out of 343 and developers and people familiar with the project? Because I feel like that has become the issue overnight on the Internet. And until until Bonnie Ross left, you know, the issue was Bonnie Ross management, Bonnie Ross, Bonnie Ross, Bonnie Ross. Oh, um, 
343 sucks. Give it back to Bungie. Bonnie Ross. Bonnie Ross. Bungie was better. Bungie was better. And now all that shit is like, okay, Bonnie Ross is gone. They got these new guys in charge. You guys like Joe Staten? And everyone's like, well, the problem is the slip space engine. It's like, oh my fucking God. And so, listen, I don't mean any of that to rag on this Sean W. guy or Jez Corden, both of which, you know, I, I obviously, I always talk up Jez Corden. I respect the hell out of the guy. I think he does some of the best reporting in the Xbox community. Uh, I think he's also a really positive, uh, loud, uh, he's, he's a very positive and admirable, uh, notable voice within the community. I like Jez Corden, but it's, it's weird because at first, this Sean W. guy, his video goes up. And and Jez Corden is like, no, this is all false. All of this is wrong. None of this is true. And then like a day later, he's like, okay, I, I had to reel it back a little bit. I think I may have been wrong about some of these things. This was all through Twitter. And he's like, I I, I think uh, there may be some validity to some of these things Sean is saying in this video. And of course, you know, this is two people who seem to have connections and have some information behind the scenes corroborating. And from my perspective as a total outsider, I'm just like, dude, what the fuck does Slip Space have to do with all this? We just need a solid development team that isn't contract work and some serious leadership that's team to to steer the project in the right direction. It think let me let me put it like this. Is Slip Space not a completely new engine from the ground up, but completely um, a, a spiritual successor to the original Bungie developed Halo engine? So considering the fact that 343 has been a team for over a decade and has been working on Halo games for well over a decade. Doesn't it stand a reason that maybe Slip Space or an engine that is a successor from the Halo engine is probably the best engine for them to be working on rather than Unreal? Which I understand Unreal is like it's like it's it's the everyman engine. It is like the common language among game development. I get I get it. It's accessible. It's widely understood. It is the it is the 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 language of commerce among among programmers and shit. But does it make sense to suddenly just shift Halo into that? I just I just don't get it. So I'm questioning whether or not it has to be done this way, that everything has to move into slip space or into Unreal if we move away from slip space in any capacity. I'm also questioning this if we move into Unreal, it means basically we're gonna have to cut our losses with Infinite and be like, I know it was supposed to be a 10 year live service game, but actually, spoiler alert, now the Battle Royale component is going to be a standalone download. It's not going to be associated with a specific Halo. It's just going to be a Halo Battle Royale game that exists on its own separate from a Halo title. And Halo Infinite is, spoiler alert, done. And we'll see you in three to four years with Halo 7. Is that really going to... I, I do not believe... I do not believe this is true. And I hope I'm wrong. Or No, I don't hope I'm wrong. I, I, really, do, I really hope I'm not wrong. I really think it is way too soon to be calling it quits. And obviously, I'm not there at 343. I'm not in the meetings. I don't know how bad it is in the trenches. But I just don't believe Halo Infinite's woes have reached a point where it's so bad that they're like, let's just let's just let's just cut our losses and work on Halo 7. God, that I I think that is actually a worse idea. Than, than just fixing uh, that 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 is that is a worse idea to just move on to Halo Seven than it is to continue to stick out this really difficult time they're in, because you fucked up people's expectations with the Master Chief Collection and what a broken mess that was forever for a very long time for like two years or something, you fucked with and messed with people's expectations with Halo Five, which even though I adore that game, I'd be lying if I said obviously people took issue with that game and were not pleased with it in the long run. 
And now you fucked with and screwed up people's emotions with Halo Infinite, which is also suffering from massive issues. If you cut your losses and just go make Halo 7, I think next time people are going to be like, fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. I'm going to go play Call of Duty instead of Halo. But if you just fucking put your heads down, stop fucking talking, and just get to work and and, and not to blame 343. I, I think, if anything, they don't talk enough. So not to say they talk too much. But if you just put your heads down, don't talk, just fucking put in the effort, get your shit together at the studio, have get your leadership in order, and fix the problem here. I know it sounds easier said than done, but I think you can do a lot more repairing and a lot more good for the brand by fixing, making good on the broken thing you have now than by just cutting your losses and moving on to the next thing. I think moving on to the next thing would be the worst idea. I genuinely think it is a terrible idea. Because like once you move on to the next thing, all people can think about is how 343 had a fluke with Halo 4 where it kind of turned out pretty decent as a first-time outing, and then everything they've done since then has been fucking broken in a failure of a project. And that's the reputation you set out once you abandon Halo Infinite to go work on Halo 7. It's also just incredibly fucking stupid because Halo Infinite is a spiritual successor to the Halo series. It literally fucking destroyed the timeline and the canon and everything about Halo 5. It basically just says, okay, Halo 5, fuck you. We're skipping what should happen in Halo 6 so we can just get away from this game and tell our own story. And then what? You're just going to cut your losses and move away to the next game? Like, that's just, you cannot do that. It's just a terrible, terrible fucking idea. I think there's a lot of stress and probably fear being stricken into Microsoft and 343's hearts right now because of how just incredibly over the top people are on the internet about Halo is so dead. Oh, bring back Bungie. Bonnie Ross sucks. Like all this shit. It's like, oh, woe is me. Again, same thing I, I keep saying, and I'll leave it at this. Halo Infinite is a really, really phenomenal base game with tons of room for improvement. Give the team time and resources and properly manage them. And this game will be glowing in a one or two years time. This just fucking back off. We will all love this game in due time. That is what I said the other week on Twitter. It's what I've been saying on this podcast for, for weeks and months and shit. And I'm just tired of it coming up. Is it possible this is happening? Yes. Do I really hope it's not happening? Yes. <laughs> I don't want them to cut their losses with the Halo Infinite. I want them to fix the mess they've made. I do not believe that this engine is gone beyond repair. And and just, holy fuck, man. Like, the reason you build an engine, I mean, obviously, it's nice to have your own engine so you don't have to pay royalty fees on someone else's engine, but it costs tons and tons of money to build an engine. You don't just do it because it's a cheap thing to do. It's not a cheap thing to do. You build an engine because you need tool sets and specific features and functions that make developing your specific game easier and more approachable and, and, and accessible for your team that specializes in your games. And when you just throw all of that away and say, all right, guys, now we're going to use the general tools, the general engine that everyone uses to make every kind of game. It's just like, I feel like that just makes the development process even harder. So I don't know. I, I feel like there's probably more wisdom in continuing to invest in slip space than there is to abandon it. But Again, I am not a techie guy. I don't know. I'm just so confused. If Call of Duty did it, why can't Halo do it? If uh, if Certain Affinity really is working in Unreal Engine for the Battle Royale mode, why does the rest of the Halo franchise have to go in that direction with it? Uh, I, I just don't believe personally that this, you know, without having any, any connections to 343 or any of my own insider information, I just don't believe this is the, the way to go about it. I don't believe... 
they're stupid enough to just be like, all right, Halo Infinite, cut our losses, we're moving on to Halo 7. Or should I call it Halo 8, since Halo Infinite basically just fucking walks over everything that happened in Halo 5. But anyway, I hate saying this, but time will tell. <laughs> because for now, that's just a, a story that I just, I, I can't even fathom why, why that would be considered, unless it really is just that gone beyond repair, which I don't think it is. All right, next up, guys, this one... Not as directly Xbox related, but it's huge news and it does, it is an Xbox competitor. Guys, VGC relays Google will officially shut down Google Stadia, the gaming streaming service, next year. In a statement published last Thursday, Stadia's general manager, Phil Harrison, admitted that the service, Phil Harrison, formerly of Xbox, admitted that the service hadn't gained attraction or gained traction with users that it expected since it launched nearly three years ago. Google will be refunding all Stadia hardware purchases made through the Google Store and all games and add-on content purchases made through the Stadia Store, Harrison said, which is very good. Players will continue to have access to their games library to play through January 18th next year. According to Google, the underlying technological platform, or technology platform that powers Google Stadia will still be used across other parts of the company like YouTube, Google Play, and its augmented reality efforts. Stadia's closure following its decision to close all internal game development teams last year, which it uh, at the time, Google claimed it was made in order to focus on partnering with third-party studios. That decision was followed by several high-profile depart departures from the team, uh, including former Stadia boss Jade Raymond, who is now working at a new uh, studio called Haven, which PlayStation, um, I think, owns or is funding, and has since hired six former Stadia employees, so a lot of people have left. No employees will be laid off as a result of the demise of the service, so that is also really good. Honestly, the two great things and props to Google, um, not laying people off, finding new roles for them within the company, as well as refunding everything to everyone who bought shit for Stadia. Uh, obviously, if you're Google, you can afford to do all this. But yes, this is the way to go. I, good on Google for doing the right thing in that regard. And then as for Google Stadia going away, Xbox Cloud Streaming, Game Pass Streaming, whatever you want to call it, you're kind of out here alone. I know there's other things. There's Luna and there's other shit. And PlayStation has its own streaming. But, man, really? The the only, like, seriously considered high, highly taken one in, you know, in this space, it seems like, at least in, in home consoles and stuff like that, it's you, Xbox. You're kind of in... It puts you in a prime spot. Because people have kind of always taken Xbox's cloud streaming a little more serious. Microsoft is a is a company that's very fit to do cloud streaming like Google is, but the difference is Xbox has legitimized themselves in gaming, whereas Google has not. And like most things Google did, they half-assed it. They didn't stick with it. They didn't continue to invest. And now Stadia is dead. Not surprising. I don't think anyone expected Google Stadia to stick around. I think it lasted about as long as I expected it to. I'm really, I just cannot say in any regard that I'm surprised, but, um, yeah, rest in peace, Google Stadia, I guess. I'm, like, it's hard to feel bad about it when it's like, yeah, well, everyone gets to keep their jobs and, and consumers get their money back. So I guess it's so win-win-win. Obviously, there are a lot of creatives who put a lot of effort into this and probably cared and were invested in it. And that is sad to see their hard work and their efforts kind of just to the wind, you know. But, man, Xbox Cloud Streaming is kind of in this little spot where it's like, you Xbox, you got to drive this shit home. And, and the reason why it works for Xbox is quite simple. Because not only is Xbox Cloud Streaming, um, you know, associated with a gaming brand that people trust, but it is a thing that is included in a service that is not wholly 
aimed around just cloud streaming. You think about most people playing Game Pass. Most people are Game Pass subscribers because they want to download and interface with games on their Xboxes and PCs locally. And the ability to cloud stream these games is like a little cherry on top. It's like a little bonus. To make that the only means of input, the only ways, uh, only means of interfacing with your games, just to stream them, and then God, City was so dumb. You had to buy the game and then you had to stream it. It's a it's a terrible model in a world where we are just simply not ready for all hands on streaming. It gets better and better every year. Xbox Cloud Streaming is be- was better last time I used it than it was the time before, but oh boy, is it hit or miss. And I never used Stadia. I heard actually apparently Stadia was usually a little more stable, sometimes a little better than Xbox Cloud Streaming. But again, the thing is, Google Stadia, it is your only way of interface. You can sit in front of your computer. You can stream Destiny 2 to your computer through Stadia, and that is your only way to play. Meanwhile, I can go play Destiny on my Xbox, on my PC, download it locally, and then when I want to go play out and about, I can bring an Xbox controller with me wherever I go and stream it to my phone. And that is just another option for me. It's not the only way. It's not limiting me to play the game in that one key way. And uh, that that matters a lot when you consider people like me, which is like people, most people using cloud gaming, where it's just that my internet is a little hit or miss depending on where I go, and it's just not the best. And latency is still a thing, and this technology is just not fully there yet to the point where we can just wholly rely on it. It just doesn't work that way. Video streaming isn't even to the point yet where it's like, yeah, this is like the only way to watch movies. Like we're we're still at a point where it's like pretty reasonable to be someone who buys physical physical movies and TV shows and shit like that because it is better to have the Ultra HD or the Ultra Blu-ray or whatever the fuck it's called discs than it is to just stream the 4K shit from Netflix because compression and because latency and because all these other things that make the fucking product significantly worse than the actual physical locally stored version. And so if we still have that issue with fucking video content, what the hell makes you think we should, we're not going to have that problem with gaming that we can just fucking play destiny and assassin's creed on the cloud exclusively. It was never going to work. It really is just about the options. The, the fact that it's treated as as a feature, a, an additional feature to Game Pass and to Xbox is what makes it so successful on Xbox because it's like, oh, that's so cool that the option is there if I need it. You know, when I'm, I'm like when I play Yakuza Like a Dragon, since that's a turn-based game, I'm going to play that a lot via cloud streaming. I'm going to sit down on a Saturday. I'm going to sit in front of my Xbox and play it on a controller. And then later on in the day, I'm going to get lay down in bed and I'm going to play it on my phone because it's a game that's not super twitchy and it lends itself really well to cloud streaming. But that is a rare case. Most of the time I'm playing things like first-person shooters. I'm playing things where that input matters, where I can't have the fucking constant refreshing of the screen, where I can't have the blurry streamed textures. I need the game to look crisp and to respond well to me. And that's just not something most people are willing to compromise. (laughs) So... Google Stadia, rest in peace. Xbox, the floor is yours. You have an opportunity to really capitalize on this thing. Make this technology the best it can be. You have the ability to improve on it and kind of find what this what this feature means to the majority of consumers before another big uh, competitor really starts to make a splash on the scene. So really big opportunity for Xbox there. All right, next up, these next two stories are big stories that I'm dreading talking about because we talk about these things ad nauseum, but unfortunately... I'll try to keep it brief because I know a lot of you are probably just sad, but let let me just preface with this. Guys, I do not make the news. It is a podcast that is news-based. If this is the news, we have to report it. We have to talk about the news. 
So I'm not talking about this because I just want to say the same political comment over and over and over again. Although I think there's nothing wrong with saying, fuck you, Saudi prince. I'm bringing this up because this is the news. We got to go with it. VGC reports Saudi Arabia will invest a further $37.8 billion, a little over half of what Activision or Microsoft is spending on buying Activision. $37.8 billion in the games industry acquisitions, including around $13 billion to acquire a leading game publisher. It's about, what is that, like $4-5 billion more than what Microsoft spent on Bethesda? Uh, the investments will be made via the uh, country's Savvy Games Group. For those unaware, uh, this is owned by the Sovereign Wealth Fund and aims to become a major a major player in the games industry. The investment will include 70 billion reals. Uh, I'm probably saying that currency wrong, which is 18.6 billion U.S. dollars, to make minority stakes in several key companies that support Savvy Games' agenda, and 50 billion reals, 13.3 billion U.S. to acquire a leading game publisher to become a strategic development partner. So Saudi Arabia, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, wants to put $13 billion into trying to acquire a big games publisher. If accurate, the $13 billion acquisition figure could likely fall short of asking price, which is the uh, which would be the third, uh, sorry, the very largest third-party publishers would command, uh, such as EA Take Two, but it could potentially secure a deal for most others. In addition, Saudi Arabia um, states state news said that two billion of the currency, 481 million U.S. dollars, would be reserved for investments in industry disruptors to grow early-stage games and esports companies. Yay! Finally. $4.8 billion will be invested into the mature industry partners who add value and expertise to Savvy's existing pol- portfolio. Almost said polio. Uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, that sack of shit, said in the statement, quote, Savvy Games Group is one of our is one part of our ambitious strategy aiming to make Saudi Arabia the ultimate goal hub, a global hub for games and esports sector by 2030. PIF, which is a sovereign wealth fund chair, uh, chaired by Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, has invested in numerous game developers in recent years. This includes a purchase of a 5% stake in Nintendo, which Nintendo learned about from the news, a 5% stake in Capcom and Nexcom, and billions invested in stock for Activision, Blizzard, EA, and Embracer, as well as Take-Two. And thankfully, they'll get that money back, and they will no longer be invested in Activision, Blizzard, once Microsoft officially acquires them, which will be a nice get. Saudi Arabia officials have said the investment will modernize uh, the kingdom, but they have come with negative fallout due to the country's highly criticized human rights abuses. I wonder fucking why. Notably, the crown prince has been accused by the U.S. intelligence of ordering the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi, and and the country is also engaged in controversial, in a controversial war in Yemen, which our fucking shit government here in the U.S. has helped fund with our tax dollars. But yes, keep complaining about taxes and giving people student credits and and student loan forgiveness while you don't give a shit about the government stealing your fucking money to fund a a genocide in Yemen. Awesome. Bravo. You're a real solid human being. And uh, has historically cracked down on female activists as well as homosexuality, where public beheadings of hundreds of people is commonplace for things like being gay or being trans. This is just commonplace in Saudi Arabia. It's not a it's not a statement on the people of Saudi Arabia. It's a statement on this absolute sack of shit human being, uh, um, Bin Salman, this motherfucker, and uh, and the government at large, the, the powers that be, and the the deep seated, just disgusting culture uh, of 
political culture, not again, not the people. <laughs> I'm not taking this out. If there are any Saudi listeners of this podcast, unless you are someone who just fucking hates gay people, wants to behead people uh, for being trans, then then uh, I don't have beef with you unless unless you are like, oh, no, I'm all for that, <laughs> which I, I doubt is probably the case because most people are pretty caring of one another and don't want people to just randomly die for absolutely no goddamn reason. Uh, the head of Saudi Arabia's gaming investment arm has dismissed such concerns. Uh, <laughs> my favorite fucking part. The head of the Saudi Arabian government's investment has dismissed such concerns as, quote, older impressions of the country, despite these being recent slash fucking ongoing issues. So last part of the story, which isn't actually in the story. I just wrote this part. It just says, fuck the Saudi royal prince. Yeah, the, yeah, sure. These are older impressions, even though uh, the war in Yemen is like, Current and the fucking murder uh, assassination of of Jamal Khashoggi was like what what was that like six years ago or something? It's it's in very recent history, um, so eh, older impressions. That's like that's like I mean I mean you could say calling fucking Germany a country full of Nazis is mischaracterization because you're 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 using an older impression of Germans from a fucking long ago time period that has nothing to do with modern day Germans. That That is mischaracterization. That is an old impression of Germany that is completely unfair to the people and the political system of the, of the nation of Germany. The Saudi Arabia, fuck you. You're still, you're, you're still fucked. You're still completely fucked. And, and, and here we go. So let's, let's try to keep it a gaming as much as possible. $13 billion, roughly. Okay, who are they buying? A lot of a lot of the reporting seems to think that they're trying to skew European. So I personally don't think EA is on the table. I don't think they're looking at that. I really don't think Squaresoft is or Square Enix is on the table. God, Squaresoft, like it's fucking two thousand one over here. I don't think Squaresoft is on the table. Square Enix, goddammit. Um, I really do think they're being courted by Sony, and I, I I think that might be a thing that's happening. My fear. And this is the one a lot of people are pointing to is it could be Embracer Group. And the only reason I think it might not be Embracer Group is because Embracer Group has just acquired so many fucking teams and so much IP that even though they don't have a single IP that is a fraction as valuable as something like Call of Duty, you know, with like which kind of somewhat justifies Microsoft buying Activision for $68 billion. Even though Embracer Group doesn't have a single IP that's even remotely that big, I'd say Embracer Group's biggest IP is probably Borderlands. <laughs> well, actually, no, it's it's Lord of the Rings since they fucking bought Middle Earth. What the fuck? Uh, but mm, God, Saudi Arabia is gonna own the fucking Tolkien estate. Can you? Mu- can, oh my God, I just thought of that. This is a live reaction. Holy fuck, that actually makes me like hope and pray for death imminently. That actually makes me so depressed. That makes me so fucking depressed. There's the chance that the Saudi royal prince might own the Tolkien estate. And that's the most depressing thing that's ever been said on this podcast. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I think a lot of people think it's Embracer. Um, my only concern is that, or concern, my only hesitancy in wanting to agree with that is that I think Embracer has so many teams, so much IP, um, that maybe $13 billion is kind of a lowball number. I think they might be valued closer to twenty. But because you got to keep in mind with with Microsoft agreeing to buy Activision for sixty eight billion dollars, that immediately that was already an overinflation of what Activision's truly worth. And because of that and how much mergers and acquisitions has just shot up like fucking crazy this year, that means every company is way overvalued right now. So maybe 
$13 billion made sense for Embracer like a year or two ago. But I feel like $13 billion for Embracer in 2022 is a pretty low ball number. I feel like they're probably closer to like the 20s, somewhere in the low, mid-20 range. And that's coming from someone who has never seen more than like $200 together in his life. So for me to just casually throw around how many billion dollars I think Embracer is worth is kind of fucking funny. But at the same time, I, I, I think I'm, I, I feel pretty confident 13 is a little low. So then the other big one, everyone's like, oh, it's Ubisoft. I'm like, ah, fuck off. Um, man, if I'm being honest, I think it might be Ubisoft. <laughs> I think it might be Ubisoft. Uh, that's my that's my guess. I, I don't really know who else it could be. If I'm being honest, like who who else would you buy? Uh, like a self-publisher like CD Projekt Red? Hell no. That's way too much. $13 billion, That's way too much. <laughs> um, so I, I, I really don't know who it could be, but my, my money is on Ubisoft. And I'm just hoping that a fucking meteor crashes into the earth and kills absolutely every single one of us before this deal can go through because I don't want to live to find out who the fuck it is. <laughs> But um, that's what's happening there. Smartly so. They're trying to diversify. They don't want to be solely dependent on oil forever. And uh, unfortunately, they've taken to entertainment, particularly gaming, as a as a way to really try to broaden and invest. And just want to be clear, like, Saudi, like, this is, it's, it's really bad with Saudi Arabia. Because this investment group that spends the money to acquire these studios is an investment group and is money that is directly linked with owned and coming from the royal prince of Saudi Arabia. Directly from bin Salman. This is not like with Tencent where it's like a lot of members of Tencent are card-carrying members of the of the Communist Party of China. It's It's not like these people are affiliated with the Chinese Communist Party. It is these people are literally the enemy. I'm, it's it's kind of like, I, I know in a way it sounds like splitting hairs, but it's the difference between me saying this company is being bought by Nazis versus this company is being bought by Adolf Hitler. And that's kind of the difference where it's just like, it's about as enti- entirely direct as it can possibly come. And I just don't think I can even remotely support anything that, that this, that this investment group uh, consumes that they purchase, you know, savvy games group ends up buying Sega tomorrow and then sonic frontiers is officially you know for every purchase of sonic frontiers you are helping fund a war a genocide in yemen and you're helping fund the beheading of homosexuals in saudi arabia god damn it this pains me to say but i'm i'm not buying sonic frontiers i'm putting my foot down so that that's like how serious i am about this one but that's the first one that's the more egregious one. Can I even say that? Because the next one is Tencent. When it's not Saudi Arabia, it's Tencent. So this is why I've completely 180'd from early this year when I was like, Microsoft, don't buy Activision. Let's keep the games industry uh, as as competitive as possible. I want everyone to remain independent. Because of this shit we just talked about and what we're about to talk about right now, Microsoft, just what are you fucking doing? Buy it all, Microsoft. Buy Embracer Group. Buy Ubisoft. Buy EA. Buy absolutely everyone. Please fucking do it. And while you're at it, buy Keebler Elf because I'm afraid the Saudi Royal Prince might 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 go after those next two, and I just don't want to see it happen. But here we go with Tencent. Chinese gaming giant Tencent is reportedly switching its acquisition strategy. They are now aggressively seeking to own a majority or controlling stake in overseas game companies. Again. Another one where everyone's like, could be a European 
This one, the, the reporting is a little more directly targeted towards the European acquisition. So this is the one where it's like, okay, maybe it's maybe it's Embracer Group, maybe it's uh, maybe it's uh, Ubisoft. So according to router, Reuters, God Reuters, uh, which claimed that the conglomerate is putting more focus on buying companies outright following years of investing in minority stakes as it attempts to offset uh, slowing growth at home in China. And remember, a lot of why Tencent is doing this is because the Chinese government has been putting a lot of arbitrary as they tend to do bullshit like laws and rules on like how invested uh, Chinese companies that are involved in gaming can get with like their market how many hours a day Chinese citizens can play video games and what kinds of games and things like that and so companies like Tencent who are like just oh that's it they're third right that was it was it? It's like Tencent is number one, Sony's number two, Nintendo is three, and Xbox is number four. Sorry, that's a callback to earlier in the show. That was it in terms of income. It's Tencent one, Sony two, Nintendo three, and Xbox four. F- fucking mind blowing. But anyway, the reason why Tencent has been so aggressively getting all over the world and other companies is because they're trying to make money everywhere else because they see the writing on the wall a little bit. Things might be drying up a bit back at home in China. So Tencent, the world's biggest video game company by revenue, has already invested more than in, eight, in more than 800 companies. Uh, that includes a 40% stake in Epic and holds shares in Activision, Ubisoft, PUBG Studio, um, Platinum Games, From Software, and Marvelous Inc. Keep in mind, when Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard, those shares will get bought by Tencent. So Tencent and Saudi Arabia will no longer own in Activision Blizzard, which is pretty fucking cool. Although they probably have people on the board, so fuck that. However... Uh, you know, so they might, I don't know. I don't know what capacity they'd save. Anyway, however, Tencent has made fewer full acquisitions. Currently, they only own 100% of developers like Funcom, Riot, Sumo, Turtle Rock, Digital Extremes, and Splash Damage. According to uh, Reuters, sources with the tech giant are now aggressively seeking to own a majority controlling stake, notably in Europe. The shift in strategy is reportedly due to the company's newfound reliance on the global marketplace as China strengthens regulations at home. Tencent told Reuters that the company has been investing abroad for a long time, long before any new regulations took place in China. So for an innovative company with talented management teams, that gives them the room to grow independently, the company said. So the company's like, oh, beautiful China. They wouldn't put new regulations and laws that would hinder our business and our growth in in China. No, we're just so fucking savvy and next-gen. Fuck you. Tencent confirmed during an early call with investors in August that they would remain active in acquiring game studios overseas, saying, quote, in terms of the business, our strategy is to focus on developing capabilities, especially with international markets. We'll continue to be very active in terms of acquiring new teams outside of China. This is the one where everyone's like, Tencent, embracer, 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 embracer. Again, yeah, just because they're not putting a dollar amount on this report, maybe that's likely because I think 13 billion is a lot more what it costs. But um, and we'll and we'll just leave it at that because what more needs to be said? All, all we gotta say is the, the 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 important takeaway of this story is that up until this point, Tencent's mo has been buy five percent this company, buy five percent that company, buy five percent that company. And the reason why the magic number is five percent is because that's generally what it takes to get one of your members on the board of directors for, you know, for for one of these companies. So they get a guy from Tencent and all these publishers when they buy 5%. But now they're saying, fuck that, we want more. We want to outright buy an entire publisher. So they want to do like what Microsoft did with Bethesda and with Activision. And the thing is, you know, I joke, oh, Microsoft, buy, buy uh, Ubisoft, Microsoft, buy um, EA, do it before Tencent does, do it before Saudi Arabia does. A lot of what's probably expedited this mass purchase and consolidation, it may have been 
brought on by Microsoft buying Activision and buying Bethesda in the first place. So Microsoft does have a, bear a little bit of responsibility, although it is fairly uh, plausible and, and probably right to argue that this would have happened eventually anyway, but I digress. Guys, I'm sad. So let's not talk about this because it it's very sad. In fact, the next couple stories are much more interesting. Guys, let's talk about CD Projekt Red. Let's talk about video games. Let's talk about new video games coming out. VGC reports that CD Projekt Red have announced that they're working on a Cyberpunk 2077 sequel, a new trilogy of Witcher games, and a Witcher spinoff, as well as an original IP. The news comes from a broad of overview uh, of CD Projekt Red's development pipeline, which was posted earlier this week and reveals the intended support of the franchises going forward, Cyberpunk 2077, Witcher, and a new IP. The Cyberpunk sequel, codenamed Project Orion, or Orion, depending on which version, if you're talking about the Star Constellation or the Japanese word, will be, uh, sorry, will be developed by CD Projekt Red in North America, a new studio opening in Boston, USA. Boston, Massachusetts, baby, right next to where I was born, baby, that's my home, even though I only lived there long enough to not know what the fuck Boston's like. Anyway, and the team will prove the full power and potential of the Cyberpunk universe, the company said. So really important to note, they're opening a brand new team here in Boston, in Boston, Massachusetts, North America. We're getting a brand new team and they're going to make a sequel to Cyberpunk. So not the original team that made Cyberpunk. The first one, we're getting a brand new team. Okay. Interesting. Work on Orion or Orion will be, uh, we'll start after the release of the upcoming Cyberpunk 2077 expansion, Phantom Liberty, which comes out next year, CD Projekt said an investment call. So they're really not, this is like in, like in the brainstorming phase. We have many, many, many years to go before we see this game. I'm talking like at least probably 2020 or like 2033 or something like that. Like this is, it might be 2077 by the time this game comes out. Let's put it that way. Quote, our plans are certainly ambitious and we call for a great deal of work, dedication, and further growth. CD Projekt VP, CFO, uh, Oh, I can never say these names. P.O. P.O. Newbowicks said in a statement, this is why we're setting up a new team in Boston, which together with expanding Vancouver team will form a new studio. So they're going to work with the Vancouver team. CD Projekt Red, North America. So it'll be one team split between two cities in North America. As a result, we'll be going, to, we'll be able to fully tap into North American's talent pool. Company's original IP codenamed Project uh, Hader, Hadar, Hadar, has been incubating since last year. It's currently in the conceptual phase by a small team and will be indistinct from The Witcher and Cyberpunk, the team has said. So this is a new IP called Project Hadar, Hadar, whatever. It is in a incubation phase as of last year. So again, probably won't see this game for at least like seven years or so, or so but it is a new third pillar. So think like Bethesda. Bethesda is like, oh, we got Elder Scrolls, then we got Fallout, and boom, now there's a third tier. We got Starfield. It's kind of like that. It's like, boom, we got Witcher, then we got Cyberpunk. Here's the new thing. It's a third tier. So completely new game. That, and what we do know from the early reports and rumors is that it is going to be another open-world RPG. So kind of exactly in line with um, what Bethesda does with Starfield, Elder Scrolls, and Fallout. Now we see CD Projekt Red. It's interesting. CD Projekt Red really has followed in a lot of ways the kind of footsteps of how Bethesda operates with a similar similar genre of games. So I do find that pretty interesting. They also noted that Cyberpunk 2077 has officially cleared the 20 million units sold uh, cross line, finish line, which is, um, you know, they were at 18 million earlier in the year, but this 20 million comes as a result of a, a resurgence in interest of the game 
following the release of the Netflix series Edge Runners, which has been met with a really popular reception, came out, I think, two or three weeks ago. As for the Witcher side of things, CD Projekt have confirmed that the fourth mainline title in the Witcher series, which was teased earlier this year, will be the start of a new trilogy. So that means there will be a four, five, and six, all planned for release within the next within a six-year period after the first. So again, first game, probably coming out in like six years from now or something like that will come out and then within six years of that they'll have entries two and three out so they're trying to do like a james cameron avatar thing where they kind of work on the trilogy in conjunction with one another so they can kind of hit like a cadence of like boom here's this one boom here's this one boom here's this one so that's cool and in addition to the new trilogy uh an innovative take on the witcher universe is in development um, at the molasses flood the american studio behind the flame and the flood that they acquired last year codenamed project uh, sirius so this new team newly acquired team will be making some kind of spin-off in the witcher universe they say it's quote an unforgettable story for existing witcher fans and new audiences maybe this is going to be like a telltale a narrative driven kind of walking sim game or something i don't know uh the game will be set in the witcher universe it says quote but indifferent from our past releases the game targets a much broader audience Sirius will provide both single and multiplayer gameplay experiences finally cd project announced that they're working on a full-fledged witcher game with a third-party studio led by ex-witcher veterans project canis majoris is a story-driven single-player open-world RPG set in the <laughs> Witcher universe. So, three new Witcher games, plus two new spin-offs in the Witcher universe, plus a sequel to Cyberpunk, plus a new game. Okay, it's a lot of games. Shortly before the flurry of CD Projekt news stories broke, the announcement was made that the studio's co-founder and joint CEO, uh, Marcin Iwinski, uh, said that he will be stepping down from his current role. So they announced a million games and then said, oh, by the way, our co-founder is leaving. In a statement released on Tuesday, Winsky said that they uh, he was resigning his joint CEO role and submitting his candidacy for the position of chairman of the company's supervisory board. So he will be sitting in as a chairman, uh, but no longer the co-CEO. He says, I've been at CD Projekt for almost 30 years, and I've seen uh, it go from a handful of passion-driven rebels to an internationally recognized developer of story-driven role-playing games beloved by millions globally. And Wincy's statement um, also released alongside the fact that major CD Projekt Red's uh, strategy update on Tuesday, in which the company has announced that they, they are over 1,200 employees globally now, and they plan to support three franchises going forward, Witcher, Cyberpunk, and this new project orion or, or hadar, hadar thing so wow that's a lot i i actually don't have too much to say on this because it's the same thing i said last week about the marvel iron man game and all this it's like this is cool don't get me wrong this is really cool now we have a little roadmap for what cd project's working on we know what we can expect from them uh it looks like over the next 20 years basically from what they announced here and it's like uh, okay um so we're gonna get a lot more witcher if you liked witcher 3 good they're making another trilogy of stuff like that and then we got two different spin-off games one from a new team and one from a team they acquired last year okay that's cool and then cyberpunk is getting a sequel okay there's some question about that did they tarnish the cyberpunk brand too much to make a sequel well i think it sold well enough that they'd be stupid not to okay so they're getting a sequel that's fair oh look they're, they're announcing their third pillar they're going to do their their starfield if you will um kind of like because they already have their elder elder scrolls and and their fallout so okay here is their um their starfield I, this is probably gonna be their space game i guess <laughs> but uh they announced all of it and the thing is 
These are project names. These are team announcements. These are calls for hiring. There are no trailers. There are no logos. There are no release dates. All they said was, don't expect these games for a long-ass time. Maybe your grandchildren's grandchildren will play them. Maybe. And that's really all we got. So what am I supposed to do? Get excited? Go through the, the trailer released and pour through all the details? Because there are none. And so it's like, cool. I'm glad we got the roadmap. Now we know what CD Projekt's working on. Now we don't have to we don't have to see CD Projekt at E3 or the Game Awards for another 20 years because we know what they have to announce. But again, there's nothing really to dissect here. So uh, the the big news here is Cyberpunk continuing to do well. That Netflix show really revitalized it. It's getting a sequel, and hey, they have a new team here in North America. Interesting to see how they're going to trust. They're big IP across multiple teams, whereas if we continue this Bethesda comparison, Bethesda Game Studios only makes main entry Fallout, Starfield, Elder Scrolls-style games by one team, and that's why it takes so long to get these games out, whereas Witcher, or CD Projekt Red, rather, are a little more willing to let a variety of teams work on their their babies, their big core IP, so that's cool. All right, our final story before we get into the wrap-ups, and this one just broke as we were recording, and this is actually probably the one I'm most excited to talk about just because I think it's the most fun. We're not talking about some evil person buying some shit. We're not talking about beheading gay people in our video game podcast. We're not talking about fucking games that aren't going to be coming out for another 75 years. We're not talking about any of that. We're just talking about a good old video game story about a game we didn't know was coming yet. And now we get to speculate and have the fun. You know, that's the fun. It's like rumors and speculation and leaks and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, cool. Let's talk about this game that's going to come out. That's fun. And today we got some of that. So as reported by VGC, Sledgehammer Games, Call of Duty developer Sledgehammer Games, have reportedly started working on a sequel to Call of Duty Advanced Warfare. You got that right. If you might be confused by uh, Advanced Warfare versus Infinite Warfare versus Modern Warfare, believe me, I know it's a lot. Let me uh, let me refresh your memory. Let's continue on the story. According to Ralph Valve, an insider who has accurately leaked information in the past about Activision Blockbuster FPS series, uh, the report for What If Gaming, said Valve claims in the report that Sledgehammer will revisit the futuristic combat of their 2014 foray into the Call of Duty series, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, following the relatively poor performance of its most recent entry in the series, the World War II-centric Call of Duty Vanguard. Valve claims that Call of Duty Advanced Warfare 2 is slated for release in 2025, which, if you're doing your math correctly, that means the game will be coming out a year after the currently rumored to be in development, Black Ops sequel, Black Ops 5, if you will, that is supposed to come out from Treyarch in 2024. Let's talk about that release schedule first, because that cadence is interesting. So, as we all know, it hasn't been officially stated by Activision, but it's all but confirmed. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which comes out in a few weeks, is going to be the first Call of Duty in so goddamn long. People, there are probably people listening to the show who were born after the last Call of Duty that, that had a two-year cycle. But Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is supposed to have a two-year cycle. What does that mean? It means next fall, there will not be a new Call of Duty game. It will just be more support for Modern Warfare 2. So we'll get two full years of support without a new game coming out. So the rumor has been that. And then two years from now in 2024, Treyarch will come back up. Those are the Black Ops guys. And they'll make a new Black Ops game, which is supposed to be somewhat of a spiritual reboot of the Black Ops series, yet a continuation of Cold War. There's a lot of mixed rumors about that. But that's what we have known up until today. I guess myself and maybe others, I, I definitely myself, have just kind of assumed that maybe the plan was to continue to do two-year cycles now and to be like, hey, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 gets two years on the market before we release another Call of Duty game. Hey, Black Ops 5 or whatever, it gets two years on the market before we release another Black Ops game or before we release another Call of Duty game. But what we're getting here is that apparently 
if it's all to be believed, the rumors we have up until this moment, Treyarch will have their new game come out two years after Modern Warfare 2, but then only one year after that new Treyarch game, Sledgehammer will release Advanced Warfare 2, which means only Modern Warfare 2 in the grand scheme of things is getting this two-year cycle. Everyone else is going to stay on that one-year annualized release cycle that Call of Duty's been so uh, infamously known for. So I think that's a really interesting thing to note right off the bat. Uh, the other thing is Advanced Warfare 2, man. This is a crazy one. So Advanced Warfare 2 came out in 2014. I was a freshman in college. Holy shit. Man, I remember this game well. This was the first game that Sledgehammer made and uh, it, it, for Call of Duty. Uh, remember, Sledgehammer was mostly a team of like guys from like Dead Space and stuff like the guy who's basically making Crystal Protocol right now. There was a lot of hype behind this game because everyone's like, whoa, a third developer has entered the foray. You know, it was always a switch between Infinity War and Treyarch up until this point. And so there was a lot of excitement around it. Sledgehammer had worked with Infinity Ward and kind of helped co-develop Modern Warfare 3 in 2011 a little bit before getting the reins to the franchise, the keys to the franchise to then make their own Call of Duty game. So this was a big deal. And I think a lot of people kind of liked Advanced Warfare at the time because a couple things. New developer making it, so there was a lot of intrigue around it. It was like, oh, cool, let's see what these guys can do with Call of Duty. And secondly, because it was the first Call of Duty to try and do that futuristic thing with, like, jetpacks and triple jumps and all that shit. And so I think the first time we got that, it was a little novel, even though it didn't work fully and it kind of broke the multiplayer experience a little bit. I think a lot of people were just like, well, this is cool. We've never seen this before. But what we would go on to learn with Sledgehammer as they made World War II in 2017 and then Vanguard in 2021 is that Sledgehammer is woefully, like, just uh, so far and away the third place of the three developers that make Call of Duty. Like, it is, it is you know, people argue, who's better, Treyarch or Infinity Ward? I'm on Team Treyarch, but I respect and understand a lot of people think Infinity Ward is the king, but it's always those two vying for the first place spot, and then whichever one you put in second gets second, and then there's, like, a massive chunk of space, and then it's, like, in third place is, is Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer is really seen as kind of the ugly step-headed, red-headed stepchild, whatever, of, of the Call of Duty main developer family, if you will. Um, and so it just feels like they're kind of spinning their wheels. It was like, okay, we're going to try futuristic warfare because Infinity War does modern warfare. Uh, Treyarch used to do World War II, and now they're kind of doing like Cold War slash Vietnam War kind of era, like warfare with like Black Ops and stuff. And they're like, okay, let's let's try future warfare, jetpacks. Because remember back in the day, like you have to really think back, that was, a, that was a rumor on the internet back in the day. That was the thing people would clamor for because they're like, oh, you know, like World at War, World War II, these World War II Call of Duty games. And then they did Modern Warfare. And that game is so good. They should do Future Warfare. And that was like a rumor forever. Everyone was like, they should do Future Warfare. I feel like Sledgehammer got the opportunity to make their first Call of Duty game and literally were like, what kind of game do we want to make? And literally just made Advanced Warfare off of the off of the internet rumors and speculation of like, they should do a future Call of Duty. That's really like why we got Advanced Warfare, it seems like. And that doesn't necessarily make it good. You know, just because you were the first to do it and because at the time people went easy on you, I don't think justifies it. The, the, the fact of the matter is, Advanced Warfare, why, you know, on its own, it's fine, I guess. It's kind of what spawned this dark period of Call of Duty, at least if you ask people like me, where you get Black Ops 3, which is, you know, Black Ops 3 had great zombies, but Black Ops 3 was a dog shit game. I love Treyarch. I love Black Ops, but Black Ops 3 is a dog shit game with a 
fucking piss poor campaign, completely broken, just brain dead multiplayer where everything in the game is broken because you can just fucking jetpack your way around the map and just shoot people from above. It makes no fucking sense. And then Infinity Ward even did it with um, Infinite Warfare in 2016. And that game I won't speak to because I never played it. Um, but again, it's just like there was this dark period of like these jetpack, futury, sci-fi, Call of Duty games that a lot of people look at and are like, yeah, that's kind of a shitty part of Call of Duty. There's like the golden era with like World at War and Modern Warfare 1 and 2 and Black Ops. Everyone's like, oh yeah, I'm so nostalgic for those Call of Duty games. And then there's like the dark period where it was like jetpacks and triple jump and what the fuck are they doing? And now there's like the modern era of Call of Duty where it's like kind of an homage to the past with like Black Ops Cold War and Modern Warfare 2019, but also like completely redone with a modern context. And it's a much better step in the right direction than I'd say the jetpack games. And so I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is like, do you think there's really a market? There's really a hungering, a desire for advanced warfare too? Or is it just this thing of like, well, it kind of worked for us in 2014. I think it's kind of short-sighted to look at it and be like, well, it worked out in 2014. We should go back and visit it again. Because I think once you have the fuller context of where that futuristic Call of Duty thing went and how fed up people got with it so fast and how, you know, literally Sledgehammer's next game was all about back to boots on the ground, World War II, it's nitty-gritty combat again, because people were tired of the future warfare, you know, it's like, it, it quickly becomes this thing of like, is Sledgehammer, like, do they have ideas, do they have passion, do they have drive, do they have an identity, or are they just trying to constantly find the thing that's going to stick? Because it seemed like at first, they're like, we'll do future warfare, because no one's ever done that before, and then all the other guys start doing future warfare games, so they're like, okay, fuck it, we'll go back to World War II, because it's kind of been a while since we've had that, and then everyone's like, uh, no, fuck it, we don't want World War II games, and they're like, are you sure you don't want World War II games? Here's Vanguard, I'm like, no, we're fucking sure, and they're like, okay, maybe you want the space guys again, it's like, I, I don't know, man, I just, I feel like, really, Sledgehammer kind of needs to be taken off the the we need to go to two year cycles and Sledgehammer needs to be made a support studio and I I kind of hate to say it but like wouldn't Call of Duty be better if it's like you get a Infinity Ward game and then it gets two or three years of support and then you get a Treyarch game and then it gets two or three years of support and then you get Infinity Ward and two or three years of support and back and forth and back and forth and it'd just be so glorious. And, and Sledgehammer could be support just like Raven is, just like, uh, uh, what is it, the, the Activision Shanghai and Demon, what is that one, De- Demonware or whatever, Toys for Bob and all these teams that are just fucking slaves to the Call of Duty franchise. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I, le- I mean, let me know what you guys think. I know there are people who are younger than me who are more nostalgic for that era of Call of Duty. Maybe you're looking forward to a, Advanced Warfare 2. I, I just personally feel like Infinity War struck gold with Modern Warfare. Like that became their thing. They're the modern warfare guys. Treyarch struck gold with World at War as it led into Black Ops and kind of became a universe known as Black Ops. And they struck gold with that, and that's kind of their thing. Treyarch are the Black Ops guys. But Sledgehammer never had that. It's like, they did Advanced Warfare, and that did okay. And they're like, let's try World War II. And that, eh. And then they made another World War II that's completely unrelated to the World War II game they already made. And that was like, eh. And it's like, okay, well, let's go back to Advanced Warfare. It's like, I don't know if Advanced Warfare left enough of a, like, made enough of a foundation for itself to warrant being revisited, kind of like Modern Warfare and Black Ops did. Advanced Warfare is more like Call of Duty Ghost or Call of Duty Infinite Warfare, where it's kind of more of like a one-and-done thing. So, I don't know. I I believe this rumor is probably true. At least as of right now, that's probably the plan. 
And the other big part is that it looks like the two-year support cycle for Modern Warfare 2 is a one-time thing. And then after that, we're going back to the annualized releases. So pretty interesting, I think. But let's round out with our, our wrap-up stories. we got two of them real quick. Guys, Microsoft have revealed their October 2022 Games with Gold titles. And remember, I completely forgot about this um, earlier in the year when this was announced. And now I'm being reminded of it. But they said earlier this year that beginning in October of this year... Um, games with gold will no longer include Xbox 360 games. So games with gold is exclusively Xbox one and newer games now. So we are only getting as a result of that two games with gold a month instead of four, which I'm completely fine with game pass is such a great value and games of gold is so like mediocre 99% of the time that to me, it doesn't matter, but it's weird. It's weird to see the games with gold lineup and it's just two games now. Uh, you see the picture, it just looks a little empty with only half the amount of games on it. But for the month of October, players can look forward to uh, Bomber Crew Deluxe Edition, which is normally a $25 value. It'll be available from October 16th through November 15th. And for the entire month of October, players will be able to download Windbound, which came out in 2020. Normally a $20 value, games of gold. So make sure you download those games, get them in your library, even if you don't plan on playing them. Free games are free games. Um, but uh, our second wrap-up story is an update on Game Pass titles. So, available today, starting now at Game Pass this week, they added in Chivalry 2, Cloud Console and PC. It's available now. But coming soon, we got, and that's a pretty no notable get. That's a pretty well-liked game. Uh, but coming soon, Game Pass has a ton of shit on the way. So on October 6th, we're getting Medieval Dynasty on Xbox Series X, The Walking Dead, the complete first season on PC, and The Walking Dead Season 2 on PC. On October 11th, Costume Quest comes to cloud and console. Evil, Evil, like E and then Vil as in like Village or whatever. Evil comes to console and PC on Game Pass Day 1, October 11th. On October 13th, Dyson Sphere Program comes to PC Day 1 with Game Pass. And then on October 14th, I'd say a pretty notable game comes out, Day 1 with Game Pass. Scorn comes to cloud console PC um, yeah, this day got moved up. So after many, many, many delays, its final delay actually then got reversed and game got moved up a little bit. So October 14th is the, re the release date for Scorn. Um, I was originally interested in this game and then disgusted by this game and turned off from ever wanting to play it and have recently become re-interested in it. I, I am definitely going to give this game a download, give it a try with a just disgusting corporal body, just... A fucking gore kind of aesthetic it has where it's just like it, it, it's interesting because it's like normally like in sci-fi you see it's like everything is machine-like humans become more robotic technology takes over everything everything is chrome and sleek and techy and this does kind of an exact opposite thing where it's like what if instead of technology impeding on humans and everything becoming so digital and like cyberpunky what if it's just the opposite? It's like humans in our more like disgusting biological forms had more influence over just inanimate things like doors and computers and just buildings and, and just environments. And it's just everything is just bodies and goo and, and, and parts and organs. And it's just gross shit. It's like sticking your hand in the doorway to unlock a door. And it's just like fucking ripping out your heart and fucking everything's just so gross. And intentionally so, I get that that's like supposed to be the game's appeal, but it just looks like a tough, like a tough game to stomach, but also an incredibly unique game. And 
just a great time of year, obviously, for it to be releasing. So I'm going to give it a go, but Scorn, October 14th, pretty notable. And then last, and definitely not least, because this is the other big game, um, on October 18th, just four days after Scorn, available day one Game Pass on cloud, console, and PC, a Plague Tale Requiem. And I know there are a lot of listeners out here who love a Plague Tale, so shout out to you guys. I know this is something that you're probably really looking forward to. A Plague Tale Requiem. I'm really sad that I'm not going to be playing this game at launch because I really did want to do that. I, I wanted to have Innocence in the books before this came out, but I'm not spending 40 bucks on a game that I know was just including Game Pass a minute ago. Maybe if it was on sale for 20 bucks, I'd be like, okay, I'll bite the bullet, support the dev, but I'm not spending 40 bucks on this. I'll just wait till it's on sale again, and then I'll play the first one, and then I can play Requiem. But obviously, huge, huge deal. Shout out to Asobo for being able to really make a name for themselves with this franchise, and I hope it continues to just do well for them. I hope this game is great, and that they continue to just make awesome games and get to be kind of a cool contract like uh, for hire a team that gets to make original games and, and get picked up by publishers. I shouldn't have said for hire because that doesn't insinuate that, but you know what I mean. Uh, guys, we do have a couple games leaving Game Pass on October 15th, so the following titles will leave on October 15th. Make sure you download and play them before it's too late if you want to get in. So Blood Roots is leaving Cloud Console. P- They're all leaving Cloud Console and PC, by the way. We got Blood Roots, Echo Generation, Into the Pit, Ring of Pain, Sable, and The Good Life. So make sure you download and play those games. The only games that I even recognize are The Good Life, Sable, and Echo Generation. But guys, make sure you play them now or else they're not going to be on Game Pass, and then you're going to be like, oops, I fucked up. All right, now let's, uh, real quick, that's all all the news for the week, but real quick, let's talk about the important enough news. These are stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to warn their own discussions. We got a couple here, so let's dig into these real quick. VGC reports, EA will officially announce a new Need for Speed game later this week. Actually, at the time you're listening to this podcast, it's probably been announced. It's supposed to be announced on Thursday, so look forward to that. We'll probably the game is supposed to be released um, sometime later this year, so it's supposed to be one of those like stealth announce release games. So we might be talking about this game for November pretty damn soon. Next up, VGC reports that Sega have announced a partnership that will see the development of the first blockchain game using their IP, which is interesting because I just wrote it as a side note. They said earlier this year that they would explore the idea of investing in NFT or blockchain gaming. But because they don't see any use or value in it, they wouldn't make any game like that. They just explore and see if it makes sense for them. So at the time, I was applauding them for being like, good on you for not just jumping on this cash grab. But now I'm like, hmm, so what What discovery did you make that made this seem viable or, or, or not viable, but like something worth investing in? Everyone who does these NFT games or blockchain games gets fucking bullied online to hell and back. And now Sega is going to do it. So fuck us, I guess. But apparently, it's not going to be just a regular like game for consoles. Apparently, it might be even something related to like like a arcade, Japanese arcade game. So it might not even be like a console game. So that is very interesting. I, I do want to learn about what that is just for curiosity's sake. Next up, NetEase has announced that they are hiring uh, Watch Dogs lead Jonathan Morin as it, at their Montreal studio. Um, Morin will be creative director for the new IP and this new team. He was a previously creative director for the first two Watchdog games at Ubisoft. All right, next up, VGC reports, Xbox and Phil Spencer have said that the team are looking into letting players potentially disable the quick resume feature for Xbox Series X and S consoles following criticism that the feature sometimes fucks with online games. So that is true. I can tell you firsthand experience definitely fucks with Halo Infinite. You quick resume Halo and then it'll be like disconnected from online and you need to cancel out the game and reboot the game and 
So Phil Spencer said, you know, we might have to put that on the list, uh, something to look into. So might be uh, an ability, a feature coming down the road. I love Quick Resume. Please don't ever die. I hope that feature stays. Next up, Bloober team have announced that the horror game, The Medium, will be adapted into a TV show, despite the fact that it, the game came and went and nobody really gave a shit. The show will be co-produced between Platige, Image, and Bloober team, and will be led by filmmaker Thomas Tomas Baginski and Bloober team president Piotr Babieno. I just said it because it sounds Italian, even though it's not. According to Babiano, the success of the video game adaptation, such as uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners on Netflix and Arcane, have inspired this project to go forward. Fucking kill me. Uh, next up, Crystal Dynamics is seeking feedback on a legacy of Kane on the Legacy of Kane franchise with a view to potentially revive the long dormant game series. Following the acquisition of Embracer Group last month, Crystal Dynamics officially assumed control of Tomb Raider and Legacy of Kane series from their previous owners from its parent company Square Enix. Embracer had said on May that in May that they uh, that it was envisioning uh, releasing sequels, remakes and remasters and spin-offs from Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal IP. So I, I do want to just quick side note. I think they, they got to be exploring that because that's what Embracer is all about. Is like, we got these teams, we got these IP, let's go revive old dormant franchises. And I, Legacy of Kane is one of those things that's so perfect, dude. Put Legacy of Kane, ground up remake for modern consoles, get it on Xbox. It's always been on PlayStation. Fucking do it. Legacy of Kane's cool. I'm weirdly nostalgic for that game. Let's make it happen, baby. Uh, next up, the chairman of From Software parent company, Katakawa Corporation, has been charged with bribery. Sugihiko. Katakawa, who oversees the entire corporation, numerous publishing, media, film, and video game companies, was arrested in September on the 14th on suspicions of bribery. He's charged with bribery from a member of the Tokyo Olympics Organizing Committee with 69 million yen or 476,000 US dollars. And lastly, VGC reports another new Xbox Series XS controller design has leaked just days after the last one was confirmed. Twitter user uh, Espia de Ofertas spotted the Lunar Shift controller on Amazon, which looks pretty, pretty looking. I'm sure it'll be announced very soon. And that is it for all of our news this week, guys. We um, we don't have any comments this week. <laughs> we got a couple like nice comments, personal comments, but no like questions or anything to divulge. And we had that one comment from Headhunting Halo, which we injected earlier into the show. We don't have any comments this week. I uh, I I think this is like the first time in like a hundred and something episodes it's happened. S sorry, <laughs> I uh, I don't know what to say. I, I I'm not trying to be like a bummer about it. Like it just is what it is. You know, when we have comments again, we will go through the comments. But this week we did not have comments to go through, so we will come back to that when we can next week. Remember, for next week, don't be shy. Reply YouTube.com/slash Xbox on Podcast. Leave a comment on the latest episode of the podcast. Leave a question. Let's let's get into some discussions, some topics uh, to to go over together, go back and forth. Let's open a dialogue. I don't know if you want to. Um, otherwise I, that, that's really it for this week, guys. I do want to do one of my favorite podcasts did a fun episode recently where they, uh, they went over the upcoming, you know what? Actually, fuck it. Impromptu po uh, podcast segment. Let's do it now. We don't have any comments. Let's just do this now. I'm aping this completely off a podcast I listened to earlier this week where they were saying, Hey, it's October. The busy season is starting. Let's go over the big games coming out for the rest of the year. And I kind of want to do the same. Let's just get a little bit of a gut check on the big titles coming out. Since there are no comments to go over, and I don't want to just end all high and dry like that, let's uh, let's just do a little close that segment. So this is fun. It's October right now. We're in the last three months of the year, and even though this year's been pretty dry outside of like early in the year when we got like Elden Ring and stuff, 
these last three months are actually pretty packed. So this isn't everything, but these are the games that are coming out for the rest of the year that I think are either A, really interesting to me, or B, really interesting, I think, to Xbox in general, like just pertinent, relevant to Xbox in general, or C, just a game that I think is worth talking about in general. Just big for the conversation's sake. So not everything's on here, but let's go. It's October right now. Overwatch 2 just came out. And as we just discussed, Scorn is coming out on October 14th, and then four days later, A Plague Tale Requiem is coming out on the 18th. Then on October 21st, we got three games. New Tales from the Borderlands, Persona Royale or Persona 5 Royale, it's coming to Game Pass, coming to Xbox for the first time, and Gotham Knights, which is a highly anticipated Batman game. Then on October 27th, we got Star Ocean, The Divine Force. And lastly, on October 28th, we got Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. So October is a fucking packed month. I definitely want to get into Overwatch 2. Definitely want to dabble with Scorn. At some point, I definitely want to play Plague Tale Requiem. New Tales from the Borderland, not necessarily my thing, but definitely a notable game. People love Borderlands. The first Tales from the Borderland was also really popular. Persona 5 Royale. Dude, I've been waiting for the series to come to Xbox for so long. I'm 100% playing this, although there's no way I can play it right now because there's just no time to fit it in. It's going to be a big Japanese role-playing game. Don't have time for it. So downloading it, can't wait to get to it eventually, but I cannot wait to play that when I get to it. It's just a busy, busy month. Gotham Knights. Originally, I had every intention of playing this game, but dude, there's just so much going on right now that it's just like, no, I can't, I can't put the maybe plays as a priority when there's too many other games I definitely need to play. But Gotham Knights, dude, impressions are coming out. People are saying some mixed things, but I, I still stand by it. I think the game looks pretty solid. Star Ocean Divine Force, if you want to support Square Enix on Xbox and tell them that we want their games, this is a game to buy. I'm not going to buy it because it's not the game I want. I want Final Fantasy VII Remake. Fucking give it to me, you assholes. But uh, this is a notable game, series that hasn't seen a lot of light in recent years, so it's kind of crazy to see it coming back and also be coming to Xbox. And of course, Modern Warfare 2 is Modern Warfare 2. I already have the game pre- pre-ordered so I can get that campaign a week early. What is there to say? A lot of people are going to play Modern Warfare. A lot of people are going to complain that's bad even though people buy it anyway. It's going to be a good time. November, oh boy, this is, <laughs> this is where it gets so sexy. November 8th, Sonic Frontiers comes out. I will lock myself in my bedroom, quit my job, and play this game endlessly until I die. Cannot wait. Without a doubt, my most hyped game. Um, Not an Xbox game, but definitely a very notable release for this year. Probably the most notable release for the rest of the year after Call of Duty. God of War Ragnarok on November 9th, just one day out of Sonic Frontiers. I'll tell you what, the guys over at Sony have some real balls on them to be willing to release this game just a day after Sonic. You really think people are going to care about your little God of War Ragnarok when they got Sonic Frontiers to contend with? Okay, bitches, let's move on. Uh, Pentiment comes out on November 15th. Now, that's an Xbox first-party game coming from Obsidian, um, the game that I just completely slandered when it was announced, and then was like, oh, shit, that's, uh, that's Obsidian. I'm going to give this game a try just out of sorrow for in, in remorse for how I talked about it when it was announced, but I still don't think this game is going to be for me, but shout out to Obsidian. They are just the fucking powerhouse of Xbox First Party right now, just putting out game after game after game and just always having something coming out. Um, next up, November 22nd. This is a game we haven't really talked about on this podcast, but I'm very excited to play this game. It's called Evil West. It is um, by the guys that make, um, it's Flying Wild Hog Studio, Flying Hog Studio, Wild Hog Studio. The guys that make um, Shadow Warrior, or what is it called? God damn. Yeah, Shadow Warrior. I had the name right. The guys that make the Shadow Warrior games. Um, So this is another game they're making. It's like a third person, like super crazy action type, almost like Doom style game. It looks really fucking cool. 
I'm definitely looking forward to playing this game, despite the name uh, making it sound like not an interesting game. But I think you guys should take a look on this uh, game. It's it's it looks quite good. And then rounding out November, we've got Warhammer 40k Darktide. Now that's coming November 30th on PC. They say it will come shortly after on Xbox. So I don't know if that means it's coming to Xbox in December, January. I don't know, but um, hopefully it comes out very soon because this was one of my most anticipated games of the year and just keeps getting delayed. So Warhammer 40k Darktide, basically Left 4 Dead, but like fucking weird guns and evil sewers and shit. Techie, futury looking shit, and it looks fun as all hell, and I can't wait to play it. And then finally December, a little lighter than November and October, but still some huge hitters. Callisto Protocol comes out December 2nd, right off the bat. That game's huge. I have every intention. I feel so guilty because I have every intention of buying this game day one and playing it, but I've never played Dead Space. I have all three Dead Space games. I've never played them, and I've always wanted to, but I plan on playing Callisto Protocol first. So let me know if I'm a hack, if I need to maybe just go play Dead Space first before I do this, at least Dead Space 1 and 2. I don't know, but I'm looking forward to that game. Marvel's Midnight Suns on December 2nd. Same day as Callisto Protocol, Marvel's Midnight Suns. This game does nothing for me, but um, I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. XCOM-style Marvel game. I-, I think it's a cool idea. I-, I think it's cool that they're making it. I'm happy for people who are looking forward to it, but it's you know, not for me. And then on December 12th, High on Life comes out. Of course, the game we're all looking forward to. I- I- I'm-, I'm looking forward to this game more and more the more I think about it and see it. Looks very fun. Looks very unique. I think this is going to be a, a good one for Game Pass. I think this is going to be a good get for Game Pass. It looks very fun, but uh, I, I'm still a little turned off by that Rick and Morty style uh, humor. But High on Life, first person shooter made by the guys uh, behind Rick and Morty. Very weird alien guns that talk to you while you shoot, but it looks fun. It looks good. And uh, I know a lot of people are looking forward to that on Xbox. And then finally, rounding it out on December 13th, Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion coming to Xbox. I would play this if you first put Final Fantasy VII Remake on the goddamn Xbox, but you won't, so I won't play the spinoff game because I can't fucking play the game I want to play that precedes it. But okay, good job, Square Enix. You're fucking killing it over there. And uh, that's it. That's it for the year, man. And then, you know, 2023 is just nuts all year, all year long. So we'll get into that later. But dude, this is... This is fucking uh, the rest of 2022, and I know everyone's been saying, this podcast is included, 2022, kind of a slow year for gaming, but these last three months, they sure ain't, because I'm planning on playing, for sure, Overwatch 2, Scorn, Plague Tale Requiem, probably not this year, but I will play it, Persona 5 Royal, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, Sonic Frontiers, Pentiment, Evil West, Warhammer, Callisto Protocol, High on Life, that is 11 games in three months. I bet I beat maybe three of them. Probably Sonic, Call of Duty, and High on Life. Might be the only three I actually beat. But um, yeah, man, I just wanted to do a little snapshot. It's kind of fun. You know, it's kind of a fun little thing to do. Um, we can revisit this as, as we go on, you know, kind of use it as a checklist as we continue on throughout the rest of the year and kind of follow all the big releases. But man, it's, uh, let me know if I missed anything, but t- I mean, that's a pretty fucking solid three months. And of that list, you know, Overwatch 2, free to play, Scorn on Game Pass, Plague Tale on Game Pass. Persona 5 on Game Pass. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 will probably be on Game Pass next summer after the deal is done with Activision and Microsoft. Pentiment on Game Pass. Uh, Warhammer on Game Pass. High on Life on Game Pass. So tons of shit coming to Game Pass as well. So 
don't you know they say it's a slow year but this this holiday season xbox gamers game pass subscribers you're eating good for sure so guys that is going to do it for this week's episode of the xbox on podcast thank you so much for listening if you like this show please rate it on itunes give it a thumbs up uh, subscribe on youtube Anything to help the show, leave a comment. It helps the show greatly. I'm trying to grow the show. Guys, we're almost at 950 subscribers on YouTube. Trying to hit 1,000. That was originally my plan by the end of the year. I don't think that's going to happen, but we can get close. So let's just try to get maybe 975 by the end of the year. I don't know. Who knows? Let's just go fucking wild and, and make big wishes. Uh, but I, I, most importantly, you know, even if you don't leave a comment or a review or a thumbs up or any of these things, most important thing is that you listen and that you enjoy the show, hopefully. Um, and I, I really appreciate your time and your support. It means the world to me. So I hope you all have a great week. Play some games. Work on your backlogs. Guys, the next three months, if, if I didn't just you know tell you anything, it's, it's going to be completely daunting. So just, just tell your kids, tell your wives, tell your husbands, tell your jobs, tell your friends. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. But I'm going to be in the den, playing the old Xbox, smoking some Doritos, injecting some Mountain Dew into my veins. I don't have time for you, kid. Can't take you to school. Don't ask me to help you with my math, your math homework, my math homework. Apparently, I'm still in math. Can't do it. You got to play some Xbox. So uh, have a great week. Stay safe. Take care. Enjoy yourselves. And until next week, power your dreams.